Hi there, I'm Ollie from Philadelphia. I'm Cinna from Ohio. And this is Backlist and Chill, Season 13, Episode 2. Mm-hmm. Here at Backlist and Chill, we read old young adult books and we drink about them. What is, uh, what's this episode about? What is it about? It is about the worst book in forever, maybe? <laughs> I'm impressed that, that this is the worst one in forever when we still have one more to go. Honestly, I think of all of the ones that we have read for this podcast, including Annette Cutter's Class 4. Wow. I think this might be the worst of them. Oh, I'm really excited to hear your opinions on this. They're not exciting. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, we're reading uh, The Mavra, yep. book two, Bloodkin, which sounds like a cute stuffy, kind of, like a weird cute stuffy. A bloodkin. It's like a little, little hemogob. Hemo- oh, that'd be real cute. Globlin? Little Globlin. Goblin? A Bloblin. You know, however you pronounce that word. Hemogoblin? Is it Goblin or no. is it Globin? Globin. Hemoglobin. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad that it took us a full 30 seconds to figure that out. <laughs> I was just thinking as a, as, a, as a little plushie, a Hemogoblin. Yes, that would be perfect. Be it's just cute. like a little like blood cell. Yeah. But with like, little, like pointy little ears and like little fangs. I love it. Adorable. We should sell that. We will. In the park. Oh, exciting. I'm so excited to hear about Oh, I, in my hatred for this book by Amelia Atwood Rhodes, by the way. Yes. Thank I you. had completely forgotten this component of the podcast. <laughs> so I'm so excited to hear what you've come up with, aside from obviously our incredible merch. Well, I mean, this is a new design clearly on those, those merch, because I think that's great. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that we should definitely have at the end of this particular section of the park a small area where you can buy you know little little bloodkins mm-hmm. and and you'll look at them and you'll go but what does this have to do with the book and we'll say exactly <laughs> we'll say you're welcome you're welcome <laughs> so what we have done is mm-hmm. we okay. have created a haunt walkthrough because that's what always brings me joy another one okay and it's the Chantel Forest, so it's very dark, mm-hmm. but every now and then patches of light will show out of nowhere. You'll think that the sky is up there, but it's our beautiful, wonderful um, light text doing really cool shit. Amazing. Yes. And we have our haunters dressed all in black, of course. And every now and then they just kind of like come out and touch you so that you get scared because you're like, what the fuck? I didn't think the ashes were allowed to touch me. Guess what? They can touch you. <laughs> You didn't know that when you stepped into this forest, but that's what's <laughs> happening now. Yeah. Like it says at the beginning of the line, actors may touch you. Like they're not allowed to like grab you, grab you or anything horrible like that. But it does say it in very small print. And if you ask, if you're very scared, if you ask the uh, ticket taker at the front, did the, the actors touch you? They'll say, no, 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 not at all. With their finger crossed behind their back. Oh, they can lie to you. That's exciting. Yes, they're very good at lying to you because they, like anything that was said previously to you, they can just change that now because they want to. Like, what's continuity? Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know why you would worry about that when it's so much easier to just say things and just make shit up. Yeah, so says so that, and you walk through the forest, and um, you know maybe you'll come across like a little campsite area where someone tells you to get out of the forest, but you can't. Oh no! But you actually can. Yeah, because the exit's well marked and well exactly. 
Super easy. I do enjoy that, though. I think that that's legitimately, like, when I go to haunts, I think, like, the in-your-face stuff is not as creepy as, like, the stuff that people do from a distance. Yeah. So I enjoy this idea of people just gently brushing against your arm while you're not looking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Getting close enough to, like, breathe on you and then they're gone. That's good shit. Yeah. And like they'll tell you the story at the beginning about like how the Chantel Forest will reject you or keep you depending upon how it feels about you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'll be under watch the entire time. And like there's sections where like no one is there, but we'll just have noise set up so that you're like, oh, my God, they're everywhere. Yeah. Like a like a creaking branch somewhere. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And at the end, of course, we have to have like the kind of big reveal some kind of animatronic but we haven't got the money yet for that so currently it's just an actor that has like been painted to look like i don't know a cougar what are they no they're they're cougars are they just cougars i feel like there's two types of animals uh we were not told about anything but cougars okay that's good i've always had this feeling that there were something other than cougars but it doesn't make sense in north america that may be true in the wiki somewhere, but I only ever think I've heard people refer to cougars. Yeah, where it's like maybe cougars and lynxes, but lynxes seem too small. And it also feels a little too close to cougars. So well, lynxes have tufts and whatnot, and cougars are bigger. They're beautiful. I love I love cougars, actually, mountain mm-hmm. lions. Maybe that's what it is. They're listed as cougars and mountain lions. It's like, that's the same fucking thing. Is it a puma? (laughs) It's the same fucking thing. It's all the same cat, man. It is all the same cat. But I think it's just that the Azteca have jaguars and quetzals. So I'm like, everybody must have two. I would be fine if it was just one fucking thing. That would be great. And not a bunch of things, but random things. You know, we're going to be like five birds and that's it. We're going to be like five snakes and that's it. And the one go shock that ever existed ever. <laughs> right. So, but it will, we'll have a, a scene where, you know, someone has like claws and whatnot and they're bloodied and it'll be great. That would be cool if it was like somebody, like a cougar digging into somebody, you know, oh, like yeah. in the distance and you hear like a scream or something. And Yeah. And then they show up and they're like, you're next. Rawr. They chase you out. Then you go through, of course, a dark area at the end, and then come out and you can get some bloodkins. Yeah, you please exit through the gift shop. <laughs> exactly. We've got the Disney model. <laughs> yep, it's the best way to do it. It's the smart way. Making yeah. money. Thank you for your assistance in creating the gift shop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's good times. <laughs> All right, well, good job on turning this terrible book into fucking anything. Thank you. I appreciate that. I work very hard on my park. It is uh, the one of the, the few things that I get out of reading terrible books. I would love if someday we could commission somebody to make like a Disneyland-style map of the park and then sell Aww. that as a print. That would be I would amazing. absolutely buy that and hang it in my house. That would be so good. I, but I would need to come up with more stuff for previous things. But yeah. No, oh, it's of course. Yeah. All the little, the little areas and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, LJ Smithland. LJ Smithland. Yep. Which has its own separate night world. <laughs> its own separate night world horror ride. Yes. I will say, of all the things that could have been cool about this book, the Chantel Forest was pretty high up there. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't, but the idea could have been cool. So, <laughs> My idea for it came out of how just bland it is. So bland. Ugh. It's like, what can I do with this? A dark walkthrough. All right. have we done that before yes does this book deserve better no not at all (laughs) all right all right so we 
drink here, and uh, you've been drinking. Hmm. Haven't I? You warned me. You said you're two cups in, mm-hmm. and I saw your beautiful picture. So why don't you tell me what you already drank, and then what you are drinking? Sure. Those are different things. So I made stuff with stuff that I had at home because fuck buying anything extra for this shitty book. Absolutely. So I took some amaretto that I had left over from our Mm. last podcast. Good shit. And I decided to make basically an amaretto sour. Okay. But without the simple syrup, I just used honey instead. Mm. I topped it off with a little bit of pomegranate liqueur because I just wanted like some kind of color in there, you know, and I wanted to say, I was like, well, I have this. We'll see how it tastes. Turns out it tastes not good. Oh, no. So what I did was I made myself another amaretto sour, mm-hmm. and then I added a lime bubbly onto it, and that was much better. Ah, good. Yeah, so I don't recommend the red one, even if it does look better. So that was the one that you made for the podcast, though, clearly. Yes. But, yeah. you know, putting a little amaretto and lemon juice and bubbly in a glass to drink, that's pretty good. Good. I'm glad that you've got something that you are enjoying. Yeah. Did you have a name for that first one? Yes, I call it an Everyone Sucks Here. <laughs> the ESH. Yeah. <laughs> you sent me Bloodkin ESH earlier and I was like, ESH. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to Google that because I know I should know. Th- oh, Everyone Sucks Here. Got it. <laughs> yeah. It was like the act of going to look it up gave me the answer. I was like, yes. Am I the asshole? Of course. Okay, so this is the everyone sucks here. Yep. Very good. All right. What are what are you drinking tonight, Ollie? So I, again, uh, like you, decided not to buy anything but except ginger ale. And I made the active conscious choice to buy a diet ginger ale mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for this book. <laughs> because my thought was, you think it's going to be... A real ginger ale, but it's not a diet ginger <laughs> ale. And that felt really appropriate to this book. Mm-hmm. So even though I don't like diet ginger ale in particular, um, I do prefer the delicious, delicious sugar of a regular ginger ale. Yeah. So I combined a little bit of the Chirac black raspberry vodka, I think it was, that I've been trying uh-huh. to drink since I opened it a while back for one episode. That I still have more left somehow in this teeny ass bottle. I forget <laughs> that I don't drink a whole lot of alcohol. And so even when I'm putting like a fucking shot in, I just can't get through a fucking glass smaller than the size of my hand. <laughs> so anyway, I've got the black raspberry vodka. I've got the diet ass ginger ale and the St. Germain, I think it was, absinthe vert. Mm-hmm. And then I did... A single squeeze of lime juice and three squeezes of lemon juice because I was like, fuck it, I want to. Mm -hmm. And then a whole lot of ice. So absinthe, black raspberry, ginger ale is the majority of it. It honestly tastes the closest to a black licorice jelly bean that I've had from absinthe drinks. Interesting. Yeah, it is liquid black jelly bean. Which is good. And I love that. So, you know, like. I would assume that's good since that's what absinthe tastes like anyway. So. It is better than it um, deserves to be for the book. (laughs) Right. 
But I did think to myself, you know, if I'm going to be talking about this book, I should put more alcohol in it. Mm. <laughs> Hence putting the vodka. I like how you also decided, like, I could drink something good, but I'm already <laughs> punishing my mind. Why don't I punish my mouth with my mouth diet as well. ginger yeah. ale? Because I thought if I had a drink that I was a little bit like, eh, about, mm-hmm. that I would remember, even if I got a little drunk. <laughs> Every time <laughs> I took a sip. Did it turn out that way, or is it good enough to make you forget? It might be good enough to make me forget. It does have that diet aftertaste, though. Mm, that is rough. Yeah, where that it's that little bit of a like weird emptiness at the end, as opposed to sugar. Yeah, that aspartame. Yeah, that's it. And what are you calling it? Oh, this is the hardest part. I don't have anything for it. Hmm. I thought about. Like, what are the themes? And I'm like, no, there are no themes. And I'm like, all right, well, what about some cool characters? And I'm like, no, no, no cool characters. And like, it's not that bad of a drink to be deserving of the title of Bloodkin. <laughs> so I guess help me out. Do you have any ideas? Um, How about about what I expected? About what I expected. That's fair. This is the absinthe cocktail about what I expected. <laughs> you go to your bartender and you're like, can I have about what I expected? And they go, oh, you read Bloodkin. Ah, it's been that kind of a day, huh? <laughs> the drinks you can only get at the Backlist and Chill podcast. Right? Park. Which I we do. And I love that we have a bar that serves every single terrible drink we've ever made. <sighs> including the bad ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But including the good ones. Yeah, yeah, so, and some of them were good. Oh, man, some of them have been so good. Gotta have a lot of absinthe on hand, just in yeah. general. No, absolutely. It makes me very happy to be like, here's a bar where you have at least three different options on your absinthe. I also like the idea that because I had, like, an ice cream thing one time six <laughs> years ago or whatever, <laughs> that we just have to keep ice cream on hand in the park. Yeah. Now we have to have amaretto. That makes me happy. <laughs> Yep. So now is the time when we start talking about this actual book, and I get to read the blurb. Now, I could read the one on the back of the book, Mm -hmm. but it's so fucking long. So I'm going to. (laughs) I could read the back of the book, and I'm going to. (laughs) But first, I want to read the one on Goodreads. Okay. I'll tell you why. The comparison title is like right at the top. I'm going to possibly mess up this author's first name because I've never heard it spoken out loud. But here we go. The Mavra Trilogy Number 2, Bloodkin, by Amelia Atwater Rhodes. Fans of Lainey Taylor's Daughter of Smoke and Bone will love this second book in the Mavra Trilogy. I'm sorry, Ma-Evra Trilogy. They spelled it wrong. (laughs) About loyalty, power, and the rules of survival. Some lines should never be crossed. 16-year-old Katie is proud to be part of the Obsidian Guild, whose members refuse to bow to anyone in Midnight, including the vampires who claim to rule this world and the shapeshifter royals who obey them. She knows firsthand what it's like to live with the Chantel and Serpiente, and she'll never forgive these shapeshifters for taking her from her real father, not her mother, as a sick and frightened human child. Fortunately, Katie is the master of her own life and decisions now, but some of the choices she's made to protect her obsidian family and one of her peers in the guild have begun to haunt her. How much is one life worth? 
And when is the price too much to pay? So I love that it's like, daughter of smoke and bone, come on over. I think that's very funny because Raven has ever told us that the ending of Daughter and Smoke and Bone is terrible, yeah. if I remember right. Yeah, if it's the one I'm thinking of. And I was like, uh, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> like, ap- apt comp, uh, comp title. Mm, apparently. So I just like that they just call the father as opposed to parents. So, like, I've spent a lot of time assuming that, like, she just had one parent because anytime I'd look up this book mm-hmm. and saw that, I was like, right, or dad, okay. I was like, no, she actually had two parents and they both were, like, meaningful. You know only the father ever matters. Especially in Amy's books. Only the dad. It's the dad's sage wisdom, the dad's sage advice. Yeah. The dad is the one who taught me things. What about your mom? What about your fucking mother? The one you were probably around more. Uh, she was left by my shapeshifter dad, and that's all you'll ever know about her. We we know she's a nurse. Sure. And she she tended to Katie. But like, it's not, I come from a proud family of patriots. It's, no, my dad was a patriot. You're like, and your mom. My dad fought in the Revolutionary War. My dad, my dad. You're like, oh, kid. All right, so now I'm going to read the back blurb from my copy, which is an advanced reader copy. Let's sniff this fucking crack. Gross. Nothing. Didn't expect it. All right. (laughs) About what you expected. About what you expected. So, this second book in the Maver trilogy delivers a powerful tale about fate, ideals, and the lines that should never be crossed. Oh my fucking god, I'm tired of it already. (laughs) 16-year-old Katie is proud to be a part of the Obsidian Guild, whose members refuse to bow to anyone in the world of Midnight, including the vampires who claim to rule it, and the shapeshifter royals who obey them. Katie knows what it's like to live with the Chantelle and Serpiente, and she'll never forgive these shapeshifters for taking her from her real father when she was just a sick and frightened human child. Fortunately, Katie is the master of her own life, but some of the choices she's had to make to protect her obsidian family, and one of her peers in the guild, have begun to haunt her. When a shapeshifter nation is charged with a crime against Midnight that Katie and her friend Vance played a hand in, Katie feels compelled to return to the Chantelle forest and the prince who helped her years ago. There, she must confront her past and the decisions she made in the pursuit of freedom. How much is one life worth, and when is the price too much to pay? I mean, at least that gets to the plot. What plot there is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's just too much. It's just too much. I'm sure it's an appropriate blurb. Yeah, it sounds right. Yeah. Doesn't sound wrong. (laughs) It does touch on all of the stuff that just had me rolling my eyes constantly while reading this book. About, like, freedom, and I don't bow to anyone, and this is about fate and ideals and lines that should never be crossed. It's like, your mouth keeps moving, but all of your actions, yo. <laughs> like, I stand for this thing. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, you don't. Do you? Everyone being like, you're innocent. And it's like, is she? Anyway, that's the fucking book that we're going to talk about. You want to tell us about the cover? Or, I'm sorry, I know you don't want to. Please, tell us about the cover. <laughs> I have a a vision of that, like, uh, Family Guy cutaway joke where it's just like, you know, now tell us about the weather. It's raining. (laughs) All right. It go rain. Now tell us about the cover. It's yellow. (laughs) That's it. It's yellow. There's a snake on it. I'm done. (laughs) Clap, 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 (laughs) clap. Thank you. I do wonder why the snake is S-shaped when there's nothing about this title that requires an S. Yeah. If you were not using the snake 
as a part of the title, mm-hmm. then why would you not put it in a more natural position? <laughs> Instead of it looking like it's falling out of, like, I don't know, a tree? It just looks like it's in the logo for, like, I don't know, some snake-branded soda that starts with an S. Or an ampersand. Yeah, there's no S in this title, so why is the snake posed like that? I don't know. It's an ugly cover. It's an ugly snake. Um, <laughs> the end. All right, I'll, I'll give them a little bit more. There's a tree in the background. Everything seems to be on fire, up to and including the snake, possibly? This snake is S-shaped. I don't know what kind of snake this is. No one ever tells us what kind of snake she is. She never shapeshifts. This is the shapeshifter book where the main character never shapeshifts. It says Amelia Atwater Rhodes, author of Blood Witch, at the top. I, I'm, again, looking at the advanced reader copy, but... Um, and then Bloodkin in the middle in its weird thorny font with some thorny swoops underneath it. And there is not a lot going on on this. Like, it's just a forest on fire, but it's it's really just a tree on fire. And then, like, some branches thrown at all the corners, mostly, to give the appearance of, like, I don't know, I guess maybe you're in a bush that's on fire. Like, if they wanted to suggest the idea of the Chantel forest being on fire. There should have been some motherfucking leaves and there should have been more trees. You know what? Nobody read this book to try to make an accurate cover and good for them. Oh, sh- oh sure. I absolutely agree. I'm glad they didn't waste their time. Sammy Wen, who I'm sure is the person who designed this cover, you chose wisely. Well, let's see. Jacket design. Yep. Sammy Wen and then design. Or art by Sammy Wen and jacket design by Gina Shin. So the two of them working together got paid. Good for both of you. Spend your time on something more worthwhile. Right? I hope you got $2,000. This book got the cover it deserves. <laughs> oh, this fucking book. All right. So ready for the rough plot? Sure. What is the rough plot? Is there a plot here? I don't know. I mean, I can tell you the the beats of things that happen. Okay. But can we preface this by saying that this isn't a plot? Like, it's a bunch of things that happen that the characters are present for that they don't really care to be involved in and have no, like, real emotional motivation to be involved in. Yeah. So we were talking about how previously, like, neither of us could remember any details about this book i couldn't even remember what kind of fucking shapeshifter katie was we never get told like what her snake is but the fact that we get told she's a snake is more than we could remember right so like this book slips through your brain like sand and the reason is that there's no emotion to anything yeah they try to tell you there is they try to tell you that katie like cares about things But the level of detachment here, it's just, it doesn't make an impression. Yeah. I was, um, I was not feeling well earlier because there was a barometric pressure shift and I started to have a headache and I was worried it would turn into a migraine. But, uh, all I could think beyond, oh God, I don't want to have a migraine was, oh God, I don't want to delay this for a week because I will have to read (laughs) the book again. (laughs) I'll forget. I'll forget everything. It will be gone I'll have to read this fucking book again. Amazing. I uh, would not read it again. I would forget, would not read it again. (laughs) Fuck it. Once is enough. Twice is enough. Yeah. 
right? This is our second time each. I'm gonna forget it instantly. I can't fucking wait. It <laughs> won't it be beautiful in like three days when we don't remember anything about this, and then like a month from now when you're done editing it and you can just let it leave your brain. <laughs> right. Never think about this awful book again. <laughs> uh, so I know I had thought maybe this wouldn't be a book where it was the main character being a TV because it's like, there's no way, there's no reason. And yet Katie is so often just kind of there to witness stuff. That's such a good call, honestly. Like when you said that, I was like, yes, you're correct. We dig on Malachi for that because he's literally unconscious and seeing things in his visions. But like Katie just standing in the background or being directed to places where things are happening that she has no personal involvement with. No investment. That's not better. The only time she has investment, and we'll get to it, but the only time she has investment, it's immediately, okay, well, but I have to go do this fucking plot quest. <laughs> Dear Amy, stop treating your characters like they're your D&D players that you can just shuttle around trying to, like, destroy empires they will never actually destroy. Just, just stop it. Well, and we've run into this before. Like, I think we noted this in um the one with the hyena. Persistence of memory. I got yes. It where there were characters who were just kind of there to witness something. Yeah. But not be involved in it. Not have their own personal stakes. And this is just such an Amy thing. Like there were so many scenes where they would be directed to go to a place that they were not planning on going before. They would stay there long enough to see something happen and then be shuttled off to the next scene. It really is like going through a fucking haunted house. (laughs) I was just thinking that this one should have been a dark ride. (laughs) Plot forward. Plot forward, kids. (laughs) Go to the Chantel Forest. Go to midnight. Truly. So just like as, you know, we recount this plot to you, just please keep in mind The level of agency here is so minimal. Yeah. Okay. So I forgot there was even a fucking prologue. Oh my God. How could you? These truths to be self evident. Yep. It literally opens. My daddy said. Like Katie opens it and talks about like when she was seven, she got taken away from her family and you have a king. And she's like, I don't want that. So anyway, this mini prologue. What's up? I forgot to tell you about the short story again. Oh, you know what? I'm not going to tell about this yet because I need to know about this short story. Everyone gather around. Huddle in, huddle in. <laughs> um, so the short story is nothing. I opened it up to the first page 25% of the way through the book. Incredible. It is called The Rebel. It is literally just Katie being dumped into the Serpiente court and like a handful of scenes of her being there and growing up, all of which are referenced in the book itself. Mm -hmm. But like, it talks about how she spent some time at the dancer's nest and then literally got kicked out for being too clumsy. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. She's like, well, the Serpiente can stand a lot of things, but the, the dancer's nest can't stand it if you can't dance. Oh, okay. Which is wild because like the purpose that these dancers guild serves is as an orphanage so like they just <laughs> kick out orphans who can't dance <laughs> you can't kick out orphans that can't dance like give them another job they can and they do so they kick katie out she gets 
ends up living with the king who takes her in because she has nowhere else to go, which is that's wild. Pretty fucking magnanimous, right? right? Like, thank thank you, Diente, Julian, Cobriana. What's that? I've got an orphan out there. I can't let my people live on the streets. Right? A single half snake orphan and you raise them as like a sibling to the prince and princess. Okay. I thought about that where it's like, Katie, I know that you have rejected your like adopted family and whatnot, but like this king did take you in this princess and prince did treat you like a sibling like personally yeah he took you in personally it's so wild you weren't a ward of the the castle or something nope there are a couple scenes she has with Aaron and hara where they treat her more or less like a sibling like katie's salty about it the whole time but (laughs) which is understandable because she was you know kidnapped from her actual parents Oh, also a thing that I wanted to mention. This starts when she's like seven. This kid never reads like she's seven. She barely reads like she's 16. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So from from go, you get the same narration from Katie that you do when she's 16. The same 40-year-old woman. Yeah. And it's just like, all right, well, sure. So I did look at the first couple pages because I was able to view a preview, but I refused to pay money for that ebook. Valid. And I noticed that there was any description of the Serpiente Palace. And I thought, why didn't you open this book with that as your prologue? Just, you know, her showing up. We would have met Marcel. We would have seen that she had been taken by her family. We would have learned about her past. And then it would cut to the Obsidian and we would be like, oh, clearly that didn't work out. Oh, yeah, that's why. Okay. And then when we saw Hara again, we would have any relation to Hara. When we saw Marcel again, we would have relation to her. Same with Aaron. Like, if just the first three pages of that short story had been the prologue rather than the fucking Hamilton musical, that would have mm, narratively balanced it to be important to Katie, any of these people. Yeah, I mean, you're correct in that, like, in the book proper, these people just show up and Katie says that she was raised with them and that they treated yeah. her like a sibling. Oh, it's like She treated me like a sibling, but I'm not treating yeah. like shit. Okay. Right. And uh, yeah, you never get this, any sense of familial anything between them. And, you know, Amy's writing is Amy's writing, but at least there are ever scenes of them together in this little short story thing. And if she was there from seven to 12, I think you told me. Yeah. That's like five or six years, depending upon like when she showed up when she was seven and when she left when she was 12. Mm -hmm. That's a long ass time to have someone be your sibling. Yeah. Especially as a kid who is growing. (laughs) Like, I don't know. There's just there's no sense of reality attached to that in the book. There's so much that Katie holds on to from her first seven years of life. That feels so wild to me. Because, like, I I understand that kids form permanent memories, like, yeah. before seven. But I just feel like, I don't know, if you're taken from your family when you're seven and you're raised a certain way for, you know, into your puberty and adolescent years, like... For, like, another six years. Right? Like, are you really going to hold that close to the life before you were seven? I don't know. Maybe. If... I had been taken away when I was seven, I probably would have been more fondly missing my friends and siblings, people I actually spent time with. Yeah. Maybe also my my mother, because presumably at that point, uh, you know, in the colonial America, I would have spent a lot of time with her. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
So I don't know. It's just, I wish she had felt any positivity towards anyone. It mostly feels like here is this kid who has been pissed off since she was seven. Yeah. And that's exactly the way the short story starts too, is it? And it's not even a short story. That's exactly the way the deleted scenes start too. Is <laughs> She's just angry, just constantly angry. And it's not an endearing or relatable anger. So yeah. So so nothing important happens in that short story that we don't get at least referenced in the, the book. All the stuff that she references in her past in the book, you see from her perspective in the short story. So you see her killing the guard. You see her meeting Shke, um <laughs> and hanging out with Shke. You see her like living in the palace and her being like isolated and bitter. You see all of that stuff. I would agree that it is more effective to see it than it is to just have it referenced in the novel proper. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, this thing by itself does not really have an arc. Gotcha. You know, it's just deleted scenes. <laughs> um, I will say that the one thing that I did think was interesting and not interesting, huh. the one thing that I think was present, hmm, hmm was the Serpiente Court from the perspective of a colonial girl. Okay. Uh, where we have previously seen it from an Avian perspective and from a Serpiente's perspective, and the Avians were shamed, or not shamed, but the, the books came out harder against the Avians for their lack of freedom with their <laughs> physicality yeah. than it did on the snakes for being free. But this one definitely tries to recontextualize, like, Katie as uh, an asexual character hmm. and her perspective of the Serpiente Court where everybody wants to do things that make her uncomfortable, even if they're not trying to sexually assault her. They just are too physical. They get too close. You know, they want to touch her too much. Gotcha. The... Boys that she's friends with try to kiss her and she doesn't like that because she just wants to be friends with them. Like, it goes very hard on how hard that is for Katie and how that's a fault of the Serpiente court and not a fault of Katie as a character. So. Well, I'm glad that it doesn't shame Katie. No. That's all I really have to say about that because that's, that's so much to unpack and I haven't read it. Um, yeah, I wish that it had just been at the beginning to let us know her mm -hmm. rather than her getting shoved into plot uh, yeah. immediately in this book. That would have been better. Like, I know I've mentioned, like, the Ebony books where it's, like, most of them dealt with the personal characters, like, stuff and the fall of midnight was in it, but it wasn't the story. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this book in particular could have really done well to have been Katie's story as opposed to the second arc of the fall of midnight that happens to be viewed by the Obsidian Guild. Right. The the All the things that lead up to it that she's just present for. Yeah. Because if it was, oh, here's this girl and she's a kid and here's, you know, this is just like part one of the book and we get to see her and we see her having trouble with the Serpiente's culture and we see them not listening to her be like, this is not a thing I want. And her killing the the guard by accident or on purpose. Well, being forced to kind of defend herself. 
and escaping and joining the Obsidian and then being like, three years later, we would be like, yeah, okay, we we get it because we saw the previous one. We know all of the stuff that had happened. And now we also know who you are and why we should give a fuck about you. I would agree to that in the hands of a better writer. Sure, that's probably what you should do. (laughs) So much of what should be done. (laughs) Because truly, my real hope with a better writer would to be have this from multiple perspectives and probably not even first person. My hope for this from a better writer would be for it to not exist whatsoever because it's bad. (sighs) Yeah. I'm so tired of trying to think of ways that Amy's books could be better. I'm so tired of it. Like, I spent Mm. this whole book thinking, like, doing the mental exercise of what could possibly make this more interesting to read. I don't... Because it's never necessarily better, because we don't know how it would turn out, but more interesting to read. It's just such an exhausting exercise, and honestly, not even a role that I want to... Because it's every book. Well, yeah. Well, and honestly, not even something that I even care to consider, like, in terms of reviewing the book. That's not uh, the goal, you know, it's not to think of, well, if it were like this, it would be better. The goal is to be like, it sucks, and this is why, or it's good, and this is (laughs) why. This is what I have, and this is what I can deal with. And I'm just so tired of, like, well, maybe if this had been included, it would be better. You know what? We've been playing that game for so many seasons, yeah. and it's never better. It's never and better. I think the answer is just, it wouldn't be better. Yeah. It wouldn't. It can't be better. This is it. This is the end of the line. This, this is, is <laughs> as good as it could possibly be, and it still fucking sucks. I mean, there was presumably beta readers and an editor and probably editor assistants, and then at least one, if not two passes by the author nobody said hey this doesn't make sense nobody said hey this is boring or this is bad there's no or your your characters are super uninteresting nobody said that or if they did uh it didn't matter you know in the big wheel of the contract and publishing (laughs) right having worked in the industry at various times and places within it i can absolutely tell you That once a book is accepted, with the exception of like more recently when people are doing, uh, having sensitivity readers and authenticity readers, which I'm very glad that is happening, you know, not the Mm -hmm. least because I get to be one of those and I really enjoy (laughs) doing that work. But not every book. And back in the day, especially this book and before, it was just a lot of like, this is the book we have. Let's just edit it. Let's just edit it a bit. And the publishing letters or the um, editor letters that you get as an author are a lot of ass kissing, talking about the stuff they like about the book, because obviously they're not going to buy books they don't like. But I guarantee that, you know, the letter for Bloodkin was probably about how strong and independent Katie is. And I just love her sense of patriotism. Like, I'm sure it was just all the stuff that we see that gets hammered down, but not shown. Like, told but not mm-hmm. shown and i know you, you can just tell things sometimes it's fine but when it's a character point <laughs> it's kind of nice mm-hmm. to see it so yeah i guarantee it was more along the lines of oops this character can't be here at this point in time because they were at some other place only a little bit ago like minor stuff i guarantee it they don't look at it and go hmm your book needs to be a different book <laughs> if your book needs to be a different book they don't buy it hmm 
And since this was a trilogy with, I'm assuming, a three-book contract and a timeline <laughs> to um, publication, you know, I doubt there was any thought on this going, this is, this is not great. They probably just went, yep, well, it's the next one in the series. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, not that mediocre books don't get published all the time. Yeah, but like, And I imagine this is how, you know, yeah. you just publish what's there, even if it's fucking terrible. But it's interesting that you mentioned, like, the timeline, because I did go back and read the acknowledgments out of curiosity. Oh, yeah, because you have those and I don't. Oh, yeah, because you have the ARC. Yeah. And Amy does mention that, like, this book caught, not postponed, but that, like, the deadlines got pushed several times as oh. they rewrote it and removed plot lines and removed characters and changed things around in order to make, like, to tell the story in the best way possible. I want to know what got taken out and who, because it doesn't feel like there's anything in it. So what story are you telling? In the best way possible. No acknowledgments page of mine would be complete without my giving thanks to my fellow writers and beta readers who stuck with me as I went through draft after draft, adding entire plot lines and multiple characters as I tried to get the story just right. Thanks to my editor for being so patient with me and watch more than one deadline sail by in the meantime. See, this is the thing where you couldn't find anything on it because it's probably on the no longer accessible message boards. Mm-hmm. Where it would be fascinating to know, not really, but, you know, slightly, um, who, who got taken out? Who was supposed to be in here that it wasn't? What plot line did you think you were telling? Well, it feels like a, like a bad fitting suit, right? To have Katie and her sidekick Vance <laughs> be buffeted from place to place by characters and by magical impulses and by people just sort of dragging them and, this, you know, directing them from year place old to place. And 15-year-old protagonist, yeah. Right. It doesn't fit to have them sort of bopping around like this. Like we discussed previously, the plot as it is, is not one that you sort of logically follow because the characters aren't invested and it doesn't have a solid through line. It's just them bopping back between places yeah. Yeah, I can I can see maybe why Amy was having trouble figuring this out because like how do you tell this story that you're trying to tell from one character's point of view without just making it a fucking spirograph, you know? <laughs> and the problem is of course that the story that the author is trying to tell is not Katie's story. No. And I'm like that right there is just the problem. It's like how do you do that thing that you don't want to do of make this book better. Make it Katie's book. Tell her fucking story. Right, which is clearly not the goal. Not at so. all. I um before I pop into the telling what the the, the beats are, I guess. Um mm -hmm. so I was on page 263 out of 279. And I realized that I was on that page. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that I only had a couple pages left. And I went, what? What the mm -hmm. hell is going to happen in these last, like, 15 pages? Right? And I was very pissed. <laughs> mm -hmm. To just be like, there's not many pages left. And this has not been her story for a while. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Great. <laughs> so, let's get into what the fuck happens. Katie wakes up. They're at the Obsidian Camp. We get to see the Obsidian Camp. She is 15. Uh, at some point, Malachi 
who is the white viper from the previous book, tells her that she should go to the market. They're going uh, to the midnight market. It's been four months since the events of the previous book. I disapprove of this. I think she should have just been planning on going anyway. But whatever. I mean, that just starts the book off on the note that it's going to continue to be on, which is uh, Katie doesn't have a reason to go there. Somebody tells her that she needs to. Yeah, we literally have to have a prophet say, Katie, you must go to Dagobah. I mean, the Mm -hmm. midnight market where you will find the boy with the harp. And like she just had a dream that involved this boy who is Shane, who is one of the Chantel's princes, conveniently, not just any random... Chantel has to be a prince. And so she's going to go and it's like Vance, who was the protagonist of the last book. Farrell, who is uh, Will Farrell. No, he's um, the leader of the Obsidian Guild, but we don't have leaders. And Misha, who is Malachi's sister. She's also a white viper. She was previously imprisoned and enslaved in Midnight. They got her back before the events of the previous book. All right. They go to midnight. They want to trade with the Chantel, but they get there and the Chantel haven't been here because of the events of the previous book where one of their witches tried to kill Jessica's trainers and almost succeeded and almost succeeded in killing Jessica. But shush, we can't tell anyone that or they will definitely kill Katie and Vance and Malachi and probably all of the Obsidian Guild just for the for the funsies. And let's see, Hara shows up. There's a little cat hiss fight with her and Misha, they decide, all right, we are going to go to the Chantel. We're going to talk to the Chantel. So Farrell and Misha stay and Vance and Katie go. Hey, Ollie, yeah. um, why do they decide to go to the Chantel? Let me look. Do you remember? Nope. This is a super important, pivotal thing that happens. Is it? They decide to go to Chantel, which is what the rest of the fucking book is about. Why? Mm. Why? I can't tell you. I feel like I'm in a pop quiz that's open book and I can't find it in the book. (laughs) Katie says, I was planning to try to reach the Chantel as well. And then Vance steps up and says, we were planning to. She means, well, Farrell and Misha returned to the camp. The guards say, in that case, you should go now. That's it. She's just going to go to try to find Shane. So it turns out later that they're told by the Sakri witch that they psychically influenced her. I gotcha. To make her want to come. Yeah, that they gave her the dream about Shane, the boy with the harp, and then they manipulated Malachi to tell her about the boy with the harp. And they were like, we weren't sure. And it's like, I'm sorry you don't have cell phones and can't just call someone. And she was like, it's true. If I had known it was them, I wouldn't have come. Yeah. So that's it. Uh, What motivation do the characters have for getting involved with the thing that drives the plot? Uh, I don't know, some psychic witch, like, sort of played on their heartstrings and made them act against their own self-interest and logic. That's true, because otherwise they would have just been like, let's not. Because if they hadn't gone there, none of the rest of the plot would have happened to them. And, uh, I guess they would have been around for whatever the fuck was happening in those last, like, three pages. I can't emphasize what a big problem this is. Like, these characters have no reason to be involved in the plot that they are involved in. Yeah. It's such a glaring fucking issue. They don't care. Like, Katie eventually talks herself into feeling guilty 
about not backing the Chantel and doing what they can to help them in finger quotes, because what they're doing to help them is actually brokering the sale of their prints into slavery. Yeah. But so like Katie eventually talks herself into feeling bad and that's her motivation for continuing to assist the Chantel is that she feels like she should help people who are trying to fight midnight. She's like, I'm a patriot. We're like, I know, I know, honey, I know. But it doesn't square because they're not currently trying to fight Midnight. And Katie spends the first half of the book being pissy with the Chantel because they're the ones who kidnapped her when she was a child. So it comes out of nowhere for her to suddenly start saying, oh, well, I should do this because, I don't know, Shane played the heart for me when I was a kid and the Chantel tried to fight Midnight, even if I'm going to feel pissy with them because they didn't... Like, ask my fucking permission. But part of her whole I should try to help the Chantel is based on Malachi's prophecy that Misha will be the queen. And when Misha is the queen, midnight will fall. So she's like, but if I don't do this thing, maybe that won't happen. And it's like, that's not how fucking prophecy works. I also don't feel like that's ever a huge... Like, Misha, like, the motivation of helping Misha and achieving the prophecy for Misha also always felt like something that Katie was kind of on the sidelines on. Yeah, because she only joined, like, three years ago. Right, and she, you know, she even has that conversation with Pharrell at the end where she's sort of skeptical of the whole endeavor because it goes against everything that Obsidian exists for. Which I was messaging you about, being like, why do they care about this fucking prophecy that, like, one of them is going to be a monarch? Shouldn't that be, like, let's just leave her to it then? (laughs) Right? Shouldn't that be a bad thing? Like, shouldn't that be no gods or kings? You know, like, what are we fucking doing here? But anyway, the overall point is that, like, there's never a good, solid reason that you can connect to for why the characters are doing what they're doing, which is a big problem because what they're doing, A, is kind of fucking evil, and B, is something they don't want to be doing. So you need a compelling reason for them to be acting against their own impulses and judgment and ethics, you know? No, absolutely. And the fact that, like, it took me, you know, scanning through this to be like, I don't know, they're just going to go see Shane. For you to remind me, no, even that wasn't really their choice. Mm -mm. It's like, ugh, fuck. All right, so moving on. But the good news is is we're already 60 pages through. (laughs) That never happens when I'm the one doing the review. (laughs) We get a scene uh, of Vance and Katie headed to the forest and then I think through the forest, um, and finally Vance gets to be like, so tell me about Alistair. And we get to learn how how that all went down, which was the only thing to me that was like, well, good. I'm glad you fucking talked about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was like a scene where it's like, good. Thank you. Thank you for s- someone fucking talking about this because I wasn't sure if we were going to. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, they Gabriel basically saw Alistair and was like, I want it, but I can't just take her. So you'll get her for me and then I'll give you back one of your people. And they were like, but there are two. He's like, yeah, well, tough shit, choose. And they chose Misha because of the prophecy. There were 18 people or something like that in the group. I don't know. But all but two people voted for Misha. And Katie knows that she was one of them who voted for Shke and then Mm -hmm. someone else. But she doesn't know who. And I guarantee it was Malachi. Yeah. I think it's outed that like... Farrell's previous girlfriend was Aaron's, the current prince's 
mom and she like left Obsidian and claimed that Farrell had raped her, which is supposed mm-hmm. to be a death sentence on him. And that somehow this fucking woman ended up being like the new queen. <laughs> she just shows up and is like, the leader of Obsidian raped me and now I am pregnant. And Julian was like, oh my God, I have like such a bleeding heart. Will you be my queen now? And I will raise your rape baby to be a prince. I'm delighted by the idea that the king just has sort of an open door policy. Like if you just sort of come to the castle and you have nowhere to go, he like just puts you up in the castle and like adopts you as a family member. (laughs) For all of the bad shit that Deante Julian is doing, because he does, like he's Mm -hmm. complicit in the sale of Misha and Shke and who knows how many other Serpiente, this dude is definitely like, oh my God, do you not have a place to go? Mm-hmm. I have an extra bedroom. Yeah, I've got I have like 20. so many. Yeah. Come on, hang out. This dude in another part of the timeline could have been a really good king if he wasn't dealing with like, fuck, how do I protect people from midnight, which will definitely wipe us off the face of the earth. I don't have any good way of dealing with this because I'm not allied enough with anybody. So it sucks for him that he has to be, you know, part of the system. But it's nice of him to, you know, just take in orphans and uh, battered women. We should also acknowledge how, yes, that speaks to his character, but how it also speaks to the sort of pretzel that Amy has to create to have Farrell's son be the prince oh of God, the Serpiente. And to have Katie <laughs> be associated with the prince and also the Chantel so that she's familiar enough with both cultures. Yeah. Oh, well, I need someone to be uh, an expert in the Chantel. And I can't just have the Obsidian have, you know, all right, kid, what do you got? Well, I was just with the Chantel for like three months, but I was mostly sick. All right. Well, since they know you, you're going to like go back to them a couple times and become like our group's ambassador so just like learn everything you can about them oh okay no she just like knows everything from being there for a couple of months seven years ago right when she was a child yeah and also sick and somehow she picked up on all of their like intricate cultural deals and And on the 12 or 13 different kinds of witches they have and like how they do handshakes and like no absolutely suspending my disbelief here all it would take is i hate that i'm the ambassador to the chantel because they are the ones who kidnapped me i do this for my new family i've spent the last three years going back and forth to the chantel i've learned a lot of their customs so of course i'm the one who will go but yep could have done that or you could just write a bad book which is what (laughs) happened where she hasn't seen them in eight fucking years and yet they recognize her on site Yeah, and she has an open invitation into the forest, even though she's a serpent. Yeah, convenience. Convenient that you're like Aaron's little sister. Convenient that he's Feral's son. It's very, and so much of this book is people explaining things to us, the audience, or to other characters, you know. As if we fucking care. As if we care, but also because they have to unload so much of this fucking world, Mm -hmm. so much of this, these cultures and their practices and their politics, and they don't do it in a fun or entertaining or enjoyable way. World building should be so organic and delightful. It's just a wall of text constantly explaining why these characters are acting like this what this character means to this culture like it's exhausting 
Nope, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, so they're going through the forest, and they eventually get to the the Chantel city in the center of the forest, which is called the Chantel Family Courtyard. But we get zero description on it, so who fucking cares anyway? I mean, it should be cooler than it sounds because they live in a fucking enchanted forest right? that has a mind of its own. And you should like, come out of that and see a beautiful fucking city and be amazed. This should be Wakanda. Right. And she, like, Katie does describe how, oh, all of their buildings are built into the forest. Like, you can't tell where the forest begins and where the building ends. Like, it's that kind of shit. So you get the idea of their architecture, but it's all just... It's more on meek vagueness. Yeah. I mean, it's all just written in such a boring, like, fucking basic way that you never feel it. You're just told what it looks like. And you're like, okay, fine, whatever. And because Katie doesn't give a shit about the Chantel, there's no, I'm still as amazed as I was the first time to see the bloody blahs and the bloody blahs. That's a good, really good point. There's no sense of wonder to any of this. Katie, as a character, is so unpleasant. And like, I was trying to unpack this because like, I appreciate like unlikable characters like it's kind of my jam but like they have to be dynamic and interesting and well-rounded characters and katie just has a shitty attitude about everything that's like her characteristic yeah is that she's got a shitty attitude about this chip on her shoulder eternally yeah and she's got nothing else going on yeah you're like what's what's my motivation you're just like constantly grumpy about everything Can I have a different motivation? I'd like to draw a different motivation. No, no, you can't. You just have to be like kind of pissy about everything all the time and have no other dimension to it. That's it. Yep. Sure hope you enjoy spending time with this character. (laughs) Because she should be uh, someone I could at least sympathize with. If you tell me this is a kid who was stolen from her parents when she was a kid, even though it was, you know, for the best of reasons so you don't die, that I should care about this kid. This teenager who has now gone through, like, living with the Serpiente, having trouble there, not fitting in. Like, she should be a really good queer metaphor. Mm. <laughs> you, you try to have queer metaphors constantly here, author, uh, in your race metaphors. I guess if there was a race metaphor going on, even though there is a um, the fact that she's half Serpiente and half human. But no, she just... She could be a queer metaphor if you wanted, but she's not. <laughs> Which is funny because she is contextually like an asexual character. Yeah. Which is something, but even that is like part of what's used to alienate her from the Serpiente culture. Yeah. Her asexuality and- feels like I believe it, you know, mm-hmm. but it also feels like while well, you came from colonial America and you had a bunch of like, puritanical vibes that is definitely part of what was kind of pissing me off in the The short prequel story Mm -hmm. where it's like katie being like mad that a boy who was her friend wanted to kiss her and then being like when she was like 12 right and then being like oh i believed my mother and father's tales of romance and being swept off their feet by each other so like seven-year-old yeah apparently they told her that anyway Mm. 
so there's this, yeah, it's that juxtaposition of like what Amy is trying to get across is that Katie is ace, but like culturally she's also a Puritan. Yeah. So it kind of comes across as her just being kind of a prude, which yeah. is not something that you want to mix when you're trying to, to have an asexual character. character. Right? You're like, yeah. don't, don't do it. <laughs> so like, I enjoy that her and Vance can like cuddle up because mm-hmm. like as an ace person who is not fully uh like touch averse or anything like that it's mm-hmm. good to see people not treating asexual characters as always and only sex averse or touch averse because you know obviously that is a portion of the um marginalized group that is more often represented because people can understand it better oh you're not interested mm-hmm. in me sexually are you ever interested in sex no okay versus you're not interested in me sexually are you ever interested in sex under these very specific circumstances when the moon is full. <laughs> you know, it's like they can't they can't wrap their minds around it. So it was nice to see that and for her to be like, Vance, I don't want anything more. And him being like, I don't want anything more either. And it's like, okay, that feels like you're just friends. Mm-hmm. But like you're 15. So the fact that you're not like, I look forward to having babies or sex or whatever. Like it didn't feel missing mm-hmm. to this character. I don't know. I, I feel like you don't have to have an asexual character to not have romance or sex in your young adult novel. Clearly, because we had this last book and there was none of that. <laughs> well, and he was 14, who looked like he was 10. Let's let's remind mm-hmm. people. Or 11, whatever it was. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, I, I respect that they're writing Katie as ace. But it's wasn't just... that like decided post-fact? I would say no, because it is definitely in the text. Okay. I I feel like the memory is that they didn't have the word for it until more recently and went, yeah, I would call Katie Ace. That it wasn't like I'm setting out to write an asexual protagonist. I would say that the book for 100% feels like they were setting out to write an ace protagonist. So I don't think they were. But I do think that that at least is there. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a Dumbledore was gay situation to me. <laughs> no, it, def- it definitely feels like I didn't have the word for this thing. Sure. But this character is not interested. Yeah. Okay. So they get to the courtyard. They're taken to the, the Sakri, who is the most powerful witch of the Chantal. She's the one that the monarchs all listen to. Turns out there's two of them. Oh no, the high priestess. There's two of them. The two of them are supposed to be speaking with one voice in the sense of like in agreement. But it's really clear that the younger one is pissed off about these Obsidian Guild characters being here. And then they go and they talk to the prince. It's revealed. So the king is there and the older prince and the younger prince, who was Katie's friend when they were younger. And it's revealed that they would like these two obsidians to broker the negotiation with midnight because midnight has been saying no one can come trade with the chantel um and the chantel owe us you know slaves basically and that they were going to send shane the younger prince and so they say all right fine we're gonna do it and so vance goes off katie spends a little bit of time she meets marcel again the one that um stole her from her mother in church and took her to the chantel um, then she speaks with a death witch who 
isn't normally like the previous Death Witch, the one that almost succeeded in taking down Midnight, let's remember. And we get to learn that Shke is, you know, that Katie's still thinking about him. And the Death Witch says, he wasn't alone. Katie's like, yeah, he's with the trainer. I know that. She's like, no, he was with someone who cared about him. Someone he cared about. And Katie's like, is that Misha? No, she was back with us by the time we learned that. And then, and that was it. That's all she can tell her. Do you know who that is? Yes. Who is it? Alistair. Alistair? Okay. Yeah. Because then, of course, she mentions, like, uh, the worst fucking scene to, well, one of the worst scenes. The first scene where I was just like, I can't believe this. Katie asks the Death Witch if she knows the same spell that the other one created to poison the vampires. And the woman's like, yes, but so many deaths. I felt them all. I don't know how one could use... Uh, or one of us could have crafted such a poison. It's a perversion of our power to destroy any life, even one we despise. Shut the fuck up. I know. They were all children once, you know. Even the mighty Jessica was born human. The trainer known as Jaguar has a blood sister among the Azteca who cannot help but seek the brother she once knew. That's the Deus Ex uh, Azteca from the end of the previous book. The one known as Gabriel is as dark a villain as any of us can imagine, but they say he loves his hawk. His slave, you mean? I do. He loves her nonetheless, but he is broken and does not know how to love something and let it be free at the same time. Everybody breathe in. And exhale. I like the text calls out, are you trying to, like, fucking say that they're not evil? She's like, no, 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 but, like, you know, we should mourn what they could have been. Should we? Right? In this day and age when we deal with so much fucking bullshit fascist crap, should I mourn who they could be? Or be pissed at what they are doing and the people they are hurting today? It's such a wild swing, right? Because, like, yeah, from a political perspective, that is, uh, as they say, a bad look. <laughs> And, like, what are you trying to accomplish with this, Amy? Like, yet again, are you trying to humanize these trainers you that adore. you clearly love? Yeah. And, like, what does that accomplish from a storytelling perspective? Like, how does what does that do to inform, like, the themes and the goals? Right. What is your audience supposed to think of this? Right. So, like, with the Chantel, it's such a mixed bag because... Katie goes back and forth on them, right? Because they're like the people who kidnapped her, but they're also the people that she recognizes as being the only ones willing to stand up to midnight. Except that's also not quite true because she also asserts that the king and the rulers didn't really actively support the Death Witch. They kind of just turned a blind eye yeah to... they didn't know shit like the sakri may have sent them the older sakri right like this was not an act of rebellion or an attempted assassination on behalf of the chantel this was kind of just something that maybe the sakri and this individual death witch tried to do yeah and the chantel are caving yeah. to midnight so they're not even necessarily the empire that is trying to stand up to midnight even right. though that's how katie continually frames them she calls them arrogant which i'm always like how and then she says that they're they're willing to stand up and it's like no they're just passive they're like you come to us we're not going to you we've got a giant fucking tree fortress that you can't get into unless we let you like mm -hmm. 
It's like saying the people who live in the high mountain who don't ever come down and engage with anyone else are so brave for standing up. Right. And she also makes the distinction that unlike the Avian and Serpiente courts who sort of came here at midnight's sort of mercy, yeah. the Chantel had been there previously yeah. and had sort of... And they don't need midnight as much? Right. There's more or less self-sustaining except they're not because katie also talks about how they can't lock themselves in the forest or they'll starve which is counter to what she says when she establishes their independence yeah i don't believe it i don't know it's just such a wild way of framing because like the ultimate beat that the book comes down on at the end is the esh right like everybody sucks and it's time for me personally to do something about it right Mm mm-hmm But, like, is that what this Death Witch is telling us? Is that what they're trying to convey with this story? That, oh, the Chantel are people who believe in nonviolence and, you know, they believe that the trainers were human once and that's a fault of (laughs) theirs? Or is this just Amy sticking in this little, like, oh, feel bad for the trainers bit, you know? And then... Katie sort of stepping in to wave her finger and being like, no, 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 no. Don't feel bad for the trainers, but maybe you should just like a little bit. <laughs> it's it's weird because it almost feels to me like, well, if the audience wonders why they don't do things, I need a reason for why they don't just destroy Midnight. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're pacifists. So Vance gets back like two seconds later because the forest won't let him out. And the forest responds to the will of the monarchs and the Sakri. And the monarchs are all like, look, we don't want to do this, but like, we know we have to, so it should listen to us. And the Sakri are obviously in agreement. And Katie and Vance are like, are you sure? Because there's two of them. And uh, one of them doesn't seem to be. And they say, would the Sakri come with us? Oh, the Chantel don't, or the Sakri don't leave the land. All right. And now, oh, right. They overheard Shane and the Sakri talking and heard something about a white queen rising. How it wasn't time, there will be a time when the white queen rises. And so Katie was like, oh man, is that maybe about Misha? And they head off into the forest after some dinner when they go with Shane. But that doesn't turn out so well, because they keep going around and around and around. And finally, Vance just gets pissed off and is like, oh, okay, the forest will respond to what happens. So I'm gonna pretend that I'm going to uh, murder you. And it ejects them. The forest is just like, oh, you're gonna maybe kill my prince? Get the fuck out. And drops them outside of the forest right into the Serpiente royal camp. Fortunately for them, it's not Hara, it's Aaron. He gets jokingly called the Arami, which is like the one who's next in line for the throne word for the Serpiente. Right. This is another instance of them being dumped somewhere so that they can be a camera so that we can know what's going on in the background Mm -hmm. and then just being shunted off to the next scene. (laughs) Literally by this forest. Shunk. Here you go. I could put you anywhere, but instead I'm putting you here where you can see something. Erin treats her like a little sister. She thinks about how if this was Hara, I would have definitely been dead. And he's like, I intend to take the throne. And they're like, that's not going to happen. But... He, he apparently has been, like, seeing Misha. So that was the information that we get there. And he's going to try to talk to the Chantel because he wants to, like, make make a alliance or something with them. 
Yeah, because Chantel are the only one brave enough to stand up against Midnight. <laughs> and everyone thinks they're brave because they tried to take Midnight down, but they didn't. And it's just so ridiculous. And then she thinks about, oh, what the Chantel said, what the Sacré said about the White Queen rises. Oh, <sighs> Some more talking on their way to Midnight where they're going to bring this trade deal for Shane's life. Which is fucking wild, right? Because the whole thing was that, like, the forest wouldn't let them out. Yeah. Because the, the whoever, somebody was not on the same page. They didn't want to Sell let Shane get sold into midnight. Yeah, good. Right? <laughs> so then they threaten Shane's life. They're shunted out into the forest. And then Katie and Vance, who now have no reason to continue to act as the Chantel's agents. Like, they don't have the person that they were going to bargain with. Why did the force just drop them back in the courtyard to start over? Like, I know at some point your plot has to has to give, but... Well, but also, like, if you threatened this royal's life, you have no idea how the Chantel are going to react if you try to take a compromise back to them. Right. But you're just going to continue to act on their behalf, it makes no fucking sense. There's no reason that Katie and Vance should not just like fucking dip as soon as the forest dumps them, except that this is where Katie is like, well, they were brave and I should do something for Shane. They're the only ones who stood up against Midnight. So that's going to be my rationalization for why I continue to do this thing that I don't want to do on Midnight's behalf. The thing I don't want to do you know, selling an old friend into horrible torture and slavery where I know that, like, it's just not going to work out so hot for him because wherever he goes, he feels the feelings of the people of the land. How's that going to look on him when he's feeling the feels of the people of the land of midnight? Mm, Can't wait to sell him into that. Yep, but I feel bad for them, so I'm going to do it. And, like, Vance has also sort of made... They frame Vance so strangely in this book. He feels like, so much older, and there's no way he's that much older in four months, like, mentally. He does. It feels like we should have had, like, a four-year time skip instead yeah. of a four-month time skip. God, that would make more sense, too, being, like, the Chantel haven't been here in four years, and they're finally ready to uh, make a trade because they do need some stuff from Midnight. Yeah, clearly Amy thought that any longer would stretch credulity, but then they have Vance acting like a full-ass adult, even though the last time we saw him, he was a fucking little boy who could be mistaken for a 10-year-old. I know. There's even like at the very beginning where it's like, Vance is going to lead the party to the the market. You're going with Feral. Like, is this just like Feral being like, hey, Vance, do you want to drive? It seems like it. Because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Like, no one needs to lead your party. (laughs) Right, but, like, the Vance that we last saw in the book just before this one, who was very, like, unsure and, like, unconfident and, like, didn't want to speak for anybody is now, like, just speaking like a mercenary because it's in his backstory. People just treat him like a lord and he just happens to know all the stuff and it's like what we said last time about how a lot of this would have made a lot more sense if he'd not just been kept in a cage until a week ago i think it makes sense if 
this is just like your fuzzy D&D character's background and just like, oh, it's a feature of my background that I used to be uh, a member of this empire. So they treat them. me with respect and I I know how to make the sort of deals that they would make. <laughs> all of them, all of the guards, all of the servants, everyone knows my face somehow. But like... We saw the role that Vance played in their he empire. Was a it was boy nothing. Running away on horses and accidentally killing them. Right. Like, how do you know how to negotiate like a mercenary? And he just like lampshades it as being like, "Oh, this is just how I heard Brina deal with merchants for paint." Oh, right. It's like, why were they coming to the greenhouse to talk to to Misha or um to Brina? That wouldn't ex- that wouldn't happen. I express my disbelief, and I put my hand through this illusion. It's just so wild because we saw him. Yeah, we, we know him. We're with him. We know the extent of his training in Midnight, and it was not this. He learned how to ride a horse in a couple of days. The end. Yeah. So it just feels like you know something that you write when you have sort of the totality of the character's background in your head and you can just, you're safe making oblique references to it because nobody else knows it except you. If this was the only book that you were reading. Yeah, yeah. but you released that other book first and we all know it. Yeah. Like we all saw it. We saw everything that he knows. This is not it. It doesn't click. Like you're just making <laughs> not stuff up now. At all. Well, it's my same problem with Misha, the way she acts uh, in some of the scenes, especially the early ones, where mm-hmm. Katie will be like, oh my God, she's talking like Midnight does. And I'm just like, in the four months that you were in Midnight, in who knows who's care, and then also Gabriel, why would they tell you anything about how Midnight works? Mm-hmm. Why are you talking about like, Oh, did you know that our two friends are trying to breed? Who said that to you? Who said mm-hmm. that to you enough that you stopped thinking of it as have a kid? Were they planning on right. breeding you, Misha? Like, this doesn't actually match up. Like, like you don't learn to talk like the people at Binda. And Katie ends up doing it at one point. Like, she mimics something Gabriel says. And if we just knew that these people had magic that gets in your head... Maybe it could be like, oh, 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 it's that weird magic this line of vampires has. But we don't. So it all just doesn't match. And I guarantee that's not why it's happening anyway. Right. No, it's just in Misha's background that she was in Midnight. So now she has access to all of those features. Yeah. She just knows how it works. Vance just knows how it works. Yeah. And Katie even says at one point, like, oh, even a day spent in midnight would be enough to change you forever. And it's like, would it, Katie? Would it? Would it really? Uh, Like, a certain kind of day, maybe, I guess. But unless you're a particularly important person for them to, like, fuck with, you're you're probably just gonna be left alone or, or, or told by other enslaved people, okay, so here's your new clothes and this is the kitchen and, uh, get to work. Like... Well, I think it's also in the context of, you know, don't trust Amisha, right? Because she was there for four months and like, oh, four months, is that really enough? Even a day. Even a day. Even a day is enough to make somebody untrustworthy. Well, Alistair slash Ashley, you've been there for a year now. So do we trust you? The, ugh, I, You know, I'm not the timeline person of this podcast, right? But like, this timeline is too compressed. <laughs> 
A year. I mean, previously, in previous books, she'd been there for 10 years as well. So, and I don't know how long Misha had been there. That's better. I, I'd be more willing to believe that that would make a fucking sustainable impact in your fucking life than four months, yeah. you know? Absolutely. And I know I've mentioned it would be the one little thing we're like, ooh, that would be so fun in this terribleness. If it's like, oh, the reason that, that Ashley was still able to kind of like speak up is because of her avian reserve. Make that do anything. Be like, yeah, Hera is there for this long or so-and-so is for this long. And they magically broke. They got into their defenses, blah, blah, blah. But the avian reserve saved you. Like, like do some payoff for the Hawk song. Let's go. Right. <laughs> All right. Moving on. They arrive. They try to find a trainer to talk to. Jaguar's not in. Taro's not in. But Gabriel is in. So they go to find Gabriel. And who's walking out the door? Covered in bruises and welts, but Misha saying, Damn you to hell and back. She storms off, but makes sure that uh, her deal is on with Gabriel and now he's doing a favor for me. And then she goes goes about her business. So they talk to Gabriel because they're like, Look, we gotta fucking do this thing for the Chantel. So they meet in the library, they have a weird fucking talk about selling Shane. And everyone is, um, it's another one of the Van- those Vance scenes where you're like, you guys knew this kid for like two weeks in person and like, not Taro, because he was like a father to him, I guess. But it's like, Jessica's overly familiar with him. Jaguar's overly familiar. So they're trying to negotiate and they basically say, Shane's not enough and we want more. I was asking for a, a trained witch. And eventually Katie is about to have, oh right, I forgot she has some seizures and she's feeling one kind of coming on and she's like, I kind of have to step out and Ashley says that she'll go with her. And that's when Ashley warns her about Misha and is like, oh my, did she see something? Did she hear something when Misha was there with Gabriel? But we don't get to fucking know that. Ashley clams up. She's like, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I offended you. And it's like, oh my God, you were going to talk because you heard shit, but now you're not going to talk. So what does it fucking matter? We never get information when it could be useful because everything has to be doled out slowly. You can't be like, I heard that Misha wanted to trade Hera and get her in here. Because then they could have actually fucking done something about it. No, it's not their role to do anything. It's their role to observe. Yeah. Because if they had that information, they could act on it. Because you know they would fucking act on it. They would be like, we're not letting Misha engage in the the flesh trade. Like, half the reason that Vance wants to do this one sale of Shane into enslavement is so that they become employees of Midnight, and so therefore the whole guild is protected now by their mm-hmm. laws. And so that shit like that couldn't happen. And Jessica's very much like, very well, any future deals would be, you know, something that, that couldn't happen. You would be able to do that. Because previously, the guild had sold, as we discussed, Alistair in to get Misha back. And Vance is like, yeah, that's not going to fucking happen again. So we'll do this one. And now we're your fucking employees. And also no one else can sell us because we're your employees. Can we also just like take a moment to appreciate how much exposition we have to parse through to make that deal make sense with the fucking dumb laws of Midnight (laughs) and the serpents and their fucking treaties or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, could I just have a list at the beginning of your, like, fucking rules so that you don't have to dump them at me when I'm reading it? 
truly, so that we don't have to hear the super long explanation as to why this deal that Vance is making is super fucking clever. Me, 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 me. And like, how are you so clever? You shouldn't be this clever. You weren't a lord. You weren't raised that. Like, oh, that was right? something I forgot to mention early on is that they say stuff that isn't true. Like, they, oh, Katie said that they were, they decided, they convinced the Death Witch to try to help uh, take down Jessica. No, that was just Vance and the Death Witch. You didn't know shit the whole time walking into that scene in Vance's perspective. He was like, I, I want to tell Katie so that she can get the fuck out of here. She didn't choose this. You didn't know shit, Katie. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. He wasn't a lord. He didn't know this information. Yep. But, you know, it was in his background, so he can do it now. No worries. <laughs> uh, he can just make that shit up. All right. So they break and they say, we'll talk again tomorrow. They're hungry. So Vance takes them through the to the kitchen. But because this place is a fucking square, <laughs> they have to choose to go past the trainers or past the, the slaves' cells. And Katie's like, I don't want to go near the trainers again. So they go past the slave cells to get to the kitchen. And that's when she sees that the children can't play, basically. (laughs) No windows. That's why slavery is bad, everybody. No artwork to make this cool gray place less oppressive. I would die in here. I would simply fade and die. How do they survive? Oh, my God. That's what you take away from this? There's no art. The kids can't play. All right. (laughs) Oh, man. That's all right. It's, this is the canon in Midnight. That's the problem. Yeah, It's built on bad bones. All right. So they finally get to the southern wing and they're going to get some food. But first, some tree stay witch whom they never mentioned is a tree stay. But you and I know because we've dealt with these fucking characters. Do we know? I don't know this guy. He has a transparent like glass blade with a pink tint. Oh, okay. Is that a tree stay blade? Yeah, it's a tree stay blade. A really good one is like, I think, looks like it's got like gold wire through it or something but yeah the whole tree stay blade thing is like a a glass knife made of magic okay with different colors i think some of them might be red some might be gold i don't know whatever he doesn't seem like he's a super powerful one to me Mm -hmm. but clearly he's powerful enough so they help him help a kid they do the same thing to this kid who's half human half serpiente that the chantelle couldn't do to her and she's like impressed by how much power he has and what he can do and starts to think that maybe the Chantel forest is actually uh, under threat. Oh, because um, the reason they decided to send Shane is that they're threatening, Midnight is threatening to burn the forest, the magical forest. But they're mm-hmm. like, Psh, we don't think they can do that. Um, or no, they think that they can they can do that. But Sakri is like, Psh, I don't think they can do that. And now Katie's starting to see like, mm, they do have some witches that you don't know about. They get some food. They go back to the room that they were staying in and they snuggle and she has a weird ass fucking dream. Katie's weird dreams that are just like story appropriate. God, right? (laughs) Like she's not a prophetic character. She's not a particularly psychic character. No. But she just keeps having these like vaguely prophetic dreams. A fire, a bridge. I will kneel to no king. And it's like, Amy, why? Can you write one book without dreams? Just one? Right? When I got to her first dream, uh, I think in like chapter two or something, I was just like, ugh, are you kidding me? It's so exhausting. Like, ugh, one more. Just pile one more Amy trope right onto that fucking plate. Right? Get my fucking bingo chart out. This is one that goes (laughs) on there. Because 
you know, like Vance was having nightmares, but they were being influenced by Malachi. Mm-hmm. And like also his like now poisoned blood, right? So like, okay, sure. You're having kind of weird hallucination nightmares. Fine. Mm-hmm. Malachi is a prophet. We know what we're going to deal with. We're going to hate it. Mm-hmm. Katie has no reason. I don't give a fuck about her dreams. Get rid of them. If I can't pick up your plot line, if I don't understand your themes, I don't need her dreams to do it. I need you to do, like, do better. Right? Like, if your unpsychic character has to have vague, like, if you have to do your foreshadowing in her dreams, yeah. that's, a, that's bad. <laughs> it's like, how about you just do that thing that I want where it's a split perspective and we're watching Misha half the time and Katie half the time going, oh, no, will Katie get back in time? Let's find out. So the next day they are taken down to the library again, but oh no, Jessica has embraced two enslaved people and turned them into vampires, specifically so that if the Chantel send another poisoned Chantel to them, these guys are going to taste him first. And if they die, deals off. (laughs) So unnecessary. Right. It's like, how about no one feeds on Shane? <laughs> right? Like, wh- why are we wasting time with this? Is it just hey. just so that we make sure? Because it is pretty dumb, actually, for Midnight to demand the Chantel give them something when the last thing that they gave them poisoned their traitors and nearly brought down their empire. That is pretty fucking stupid, isn't it, Jessica? Yeah. Oh, no worries. I've got a... Uh, Taste testers. Yeah, I've got something in place for that. These are my royal taste testers because I definitely want to drink that Chantal blood. Mm. It's just these characters being fucking stupid, but like, no, they they really aren't. They're really smart. Look, see, she had a plan. <laughs> I just look at it and go like, don't you assume they have other ways? Other things right? you don't know about? You don't know shit about the Chantal because they've kept themselves isolated from as many people as possible. This whole thing is such a construction of, like, connects that have to fit in just such a way for this fucking plan to take place. Well, there's also the way in which this delays them by a day, Mm -hmm. which puts everything a day back. And, like, I guarantee either way it would have been when we arrive, you know, finally eventually back at the Obsidian Camp, all that shit still happens. Yeah. But if everything is static, like if the author is looking at a giant timeline being like, okay, I need to delay Katie and Vance by a day because if they get back, that's too early and they'll be able to stop Feral from dying <laughs> or they'll end up Misha's, under Misha's sway. Like, that's what it feels like. It feels like I need to just take a day from them. Except that would be fucking wild because nobody knows that. But it's, you right? control all the pieces, bud. Yeah. You can just change it. You haven't published the Ebony book. This is shit no one knows. You can just go, and then I'm not going to give a fuck because I'm not going to publish anything else in it anyway. <laughs> I, this is a whole thing of glue and spit. <laughs> so let me see. I want to count how many pages it takes for them to fucking work with Jessica. Eleven. Eleven full pages dedicated to negotiating for the Chantel with Jessica. That is so long. I was say, can we also just briefly touch on how Jessica is characterized through this whole 
scene. Like, sure. this is the most we've seen of Jessica as a character. Ever. Even Yeah, because in Midnight Predator, she was just sort of, you know, a pair of boots and black hair. A pair and, of boots you know, and a pair of boobs. Yeah, and she, she was just there to say, like, vaguely evil things yeah. and fuck off but like barely there in two maybe three scenes right but this is jessica as a character yeah and the way that she's characterized here and even katie notes it is like oh she's not making necessarily malicious decisions she's making economically practical decisions she's a businesswoman which i mean is evil right like you don't have to be mustache twirling and i don't think that this book is asserting necessarily that this is not evil the way that jessica's you know dealing with these people as though they are commodities yeah but it just would have been nice if it was like wow she's wielding business so evilly (laughs) girl boss right (laughs) but like yeah but i think that it does you know even though we keep having Katie, you know, on the sidelines here being like, oh my God, that's so evil to like do that thing. Those trainers, they're so evil, you know, (laughs) even if they have sad backstories like, oh, Midnight, it's so evil. But it it really feels like those little snippets that Amy had on the beginning of their Facebook post where it's like, we all acknowledge that Midnight is the most evil place to exist. But now we're just going to sort of revel in the you know fanciness of it good business acumen (laughs) right is that what i'm supposed to be like cool i want to play in that world and and be a business vampire i've never found the appeal of venture i'm sorry (laughs) well no what i think it's doing is it's saying like oh jessica's not sadistic even though we know that that is is kind of her whole deal but like jessica is practical she's a business even in the last book when the dude at the stable when she had to like whip him because like Mm -hmm. she just sort of it just happens she's just like right slash 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 go to the infirmary (laughs) right so like there is this sort of weird tack that's being taken to sort of make jessica less of a mustache twirling evil Mm -hmm. villain and to make her more of just like this sort of cold, calculating person. Which is not who we saw in Midnight Predator. No, it's not. But, and I also think that like we're meant to take it as like, oh, she's not as evil as you thought she was. <laughs> she's just a businesswoman who happens to do a very evil business. Right, right. Which, like, yeah, no, why don't we engage with that? Why don't we engage yeah. with how evil it is to treat people? like money like why aren't we going harder on that and i could understand not doing it in that particular scene being like we just need to get the fuck out of here alive but why not have these conversations well and they do engage with it to an extent right because because katie makes you know some negotiations herself right yeah and jessica's like oh if you weren't so squeamish, you would be good at this. You have a good head for economics. And Katie just sort of goes, ew, 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 ew. And that's <laughs> Which it. honestly felt like Jessica just being like toying with her anyway, being like, yeah, oh, you could be good at this. Right. This thing that you clearly hate and yeah. is grossing you out. It's like, I feel like the, the scene is trying to say, Jessica, if you could just like put your brain to something other than like, 
the buying and selling of human and shapeshifter lives. Yeah. You could be really good at that instead. (laughs) Yeah. It does feel like it's trying to tell us that she's not getting off on this, which would make her truly evil. Right. Even though, like, she's definitely getting off on this. Like, why else would you do this? She was like, you know what? Fuck it. I want both of the princes. But she's not. She's like, no, of course. This makes sense. Right. And the whole time, they're always, like, in other stuff, too. Other scenes being like, no, Midnight and Jessica understand that if they act this way, all of the other empires will see it as bowing to the Chantel, and they'll lose their standing, and that's what trade matters above everything with them. And it's just like, yeah, does it, though? Right. So they they finally have the agreement, and they're going to go to the Chantel. But as soon as they get outside, Vance is like, dude, where the fuck have you all been? Or, I'm sorry, Malachi. Where the fuck have you all been? Misha got back last night and said you were, you know, in there and I've been waiting for you. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, if the camp is only like an hour away, let's let's go there. We'll sleep there for the night and then we'll head out to the Chantel. They've got a week to get back with with Shane and somebody else. Also, yeah, Jessica says, oh, you have seven days to go to the Chantel, get a response and bring something back. And then Malachi's like, hey, you guys want to go like take a nap? And they're like, yeah, we got time. We got time. Yeah, we got time. They say it will take you two days to get through the forest. They're like, all right, so two days there, two days back. That's four days, which means we can fuck around for like three. Right? Like, oh, this isn't uh, an entire kingdom's like, we're the people that we're we're trying to be done with with. this shit as quickly as possible. Right. I would have just been like, oh, Malachi, just come with us. (laughs) Right. And it's just so that Malachi can pick up the camera and put it. In a place where it needs to be for us to get, you know, the Katie, background. There you are. I need to film this scene at the Obsidian Camp. Come and sit on this log. And watch Aaron and Misha be happy together. This is where this is going. Just so the audience, audience, <laughs> this is where this is going. You need to see this so that the rest of this makes sense. Is it relevant to the Chantel story that's presumably the premise of this book? No. Nope. But we're just going to, like, take a very conspicuous detour to show you anyway. It's so yeah. poorly it's written. It's not like, oh, the camp is on the way. W- we will make camp at camp. Yep, let's go. No, craftfully, you know, woven, intertwining storylines. No. So we see Misha and Aaron, and they're happy, and Farrell has met his son, and everything is great. And then <laughs> they're like... I don't want to stay here because there's palace guards because Aaron brought two of his friends who happen to be guards. So they tell Malachi, actually, I think we're going to just like fucking get going. We, we, we don't want to be here. And Malachi tells them, yeah, you should go. Don't be here. Please leave. And it's like, right. Malachi, you just you brought the these brought people back. Here. So egregious. Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, you have other things to do and distance from Misha would be good. And Katie's like, from Misha? And they're just like, all right, I guess we'll think about whatever the fuck that means. But Katie, you got the scene? Like, is it it all, is it recorded? All right, get going then. Are we good? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So they go and she has dreams about fire and blah, blah, blah. They get back to the Chantel. They get told that, you know, hey, man, like the last time we tried to get out of here, this is what fucking happened. So get your Sakri ladies in order. And something I haven't told is that the Sakri needs to be unnamed and known by, not owned rather, by anyone. So like even her mother wouldn't acknowledge that she had given birth to her. Like she's not her child. She is the Sakri. So no lovers, none of that. And they've brought back a piece of flint that the Triste had given them 
as like a gift, but definitely just a warning being like, yeah, I can burn your forest down. Don't worry. Mm hmm. And they say, all right, well, I guess we need to get two people and I will look for volunteers. Marcel, it says that she's volunteered. Other people have volunteered. Like, what a what a great society. They're just volunteering. Go to Midnight. Right, because Midnight wants Shane and also somebody magical of breeding of age. breeding age. Which I was thinking about just before we started the podcast. The fact that the shapeshifters we know stay young and healthy for longer than a human Mm -hmm. so like age doesn't really matter but she specifically is like under 25 please well she's a vampire what the fuck does she know i guess (laughs) and thankfully too in these books it doesn't say like it doesn't hawk song being like we used to live for hundreds of years my mother who was definitely 40 and now looks like an old woman even though she looks (laughs) like she's 20 right it's like you could just lie just just send someone how old are you 20 yeah, you look it. Yeah, right. Vance said he was 11. I I love the, the idea that Jessica just doesn't really understand human ages anymore. So she's just like 25 and she looks at her assistant. She's like, 25? Is that, is that, is that right? True? How is old that could like it a... be, Michael? <laughs> 25. 25. <laughs> Truly. I love uh, out of touch Jessica who's just like, I don't know when breeders stop being able to breed 25 seems safe i, I guess. know horses god <laughs> horses can't breed after 25 therefore <laughs> i would love if that was the truth i don't know horses <laughs> though but that would be very funny oh man all right so shane is now missing because the younger sakri has taken him into hiding kind of against his will and the older sakri shows up has a has a prophecy seizure thing where she says and i quote chaos before the fall each great nation will give its flesh and blood to the beast every land will know betrayal and bereavement a white queen will rise in desperation and brutality the line is drawn players take their places the battle cannot be won but it will not be lost and then she like collapses and uh, this is like a prophecy, I guess, the younger one had had before because the older one is losing her power. And the young one comes running in like a gazelle and it's like, oh, no, are you all right? And she's like, I'm so sorry. I see what you saw and you don't understand. You can't. You can't. She's like, no, we can't sell our royal family in. And this is like this is like the climax of the book, basically, uh, of the plot that we've been following. Yeah, it's a climax of this plot. Yeah, not the fucking new thing we'll get in like 10 pages. And ultimately, it's revealed that the younger Sakri and Shane had had an affair like one time, but she can't stop loving him and won't let him go. She also won't let the royal family sell itself into slavery, which is like, good on you. Yeah. Vance is like, Shane or the Sakri, we need to get going. And she is like, oh, yeah, you know what? You're right. And so she attacks Lucas, but Shane gets in the way. So she's like, all right, you'll do. And cuts him like several times. It seems pretty vicious. And is like, cool, I've spilled royal blood. I've committed treason, losses. I got to be executed. But I'm your Sacri, so I'll offer you this. Send me to midnight instead. Otherwise, you have to kill me. My favorite part of this whole exchange is that then all three members of the royal family just sort of look at each other like, oh no, she's right. 
It's like, you motherfuckers have the context for everything that just happened. Right? You could you say, can, we know why you did it. Fuck off. Yeah. Like, but then they just look at like, oh, no, no, she drew blood. Our hands are tied. Like, yeah. you fucking shit ass royal motherfuckers. <laughs> it's the rules bullshit. It is. The Sakura is just like, oh, I can rules lawyer this. Yeah, right. No, exactly. The magic of the forest will reject me, even though it knows my heart. And I'm willing to kill him rather than let him go to midnight. And it's like, oh, shouldn't the forest know your heart as well and be like, you only spilled the blood because of reasons? But whatever, you rules lawyered it. It's fine. You looked at the manual. Yeah, it truly feels like that. You know, like, oh, well, we never have, you know, extenuating circumstances for anything. So Because I do remember, like, this is the first time that I had seen the reason that this woman got this. I'm sorry. She's like 17. She's a couple years older looking Mm -hmm. uh, than Katie, which I hadn't realized. So I hadn't had the full context just that like, oh, she'd committed treason and attacked one of the the royals. So having this context of like, she was only doing it to protect him and to force them to send her rather than him Mm -hmm. is like weird um, because like in the, in the unpublished stuff of which this was inspired by, she had an affair with a woman so like really yeah so this sudden change to shane to me is like ah boo weak (laughs) but at the same time (laughs) thank you for not sending a a queer black indigenous woman to Mm. midnight for attacking a member of the royal family or whatever but also amy muddies the waters on this so black indigenous question mark yeah we don't know where did they come from who knows they describe like Shane and Lucas and their pasty ass motherfuckers. So yeah, and then she's as previously discussed, aesthetically black, right? And so they're like, "Oh no, our hands are tied." They take her and say, "Vance, Katie, tell, tell Midnight we have nothing of greater value to give." And it's like, you could also save your Sakri and just execute her, <laughs> but whatever. It's truly mystifying because, like, you know, the cultural buildup that we've got around the Sakri, which is, like, the majority of what we get to know about them as a culture, is that, like, this woman is the most important thing. She's their connection to their gods, their land, the forest, like... There was a whole tree metaphor that Katie got annoyed about for five seconds to remind us that Katie was a character. Right. (laughs) That Katie had opinions, I guess. And not just being a TV. But yeah, like... She's super important, and they say explicitly, like, there will be no Sakri after her because there's nobody to, like, train the next one. And, like, if she dies at midnight, who's to say the Sakri spirit or whatever that they believe she embodies will ever even come back, right? And we know that she doesn't. Right, because we've all read uh, Promises to Keep. Yeah, we know that the Chantel lose their most important member, and we know that... This Sakri gets sold into midnight, enslaved for hundreds of years. It's the early 1800s. And PTK happens in like... 2012. Yeah, like 2012. So that's hundreds of years. She There's never another uh, Sakri. Or if there is, clearly she doesn't get trained. And we see what happens to Chantel the Elemental, who imbues them with their magic. She gets fucking pissed, but, you know, Mm -hmm. destroyed. Ugh, God. Knowing where this ends... The sacrifice. Which, 
Which you would, because presumably you've read Promises to Keep before you move on to the Mavra if you are sticking with this author as a fan. You know where this is going, and it's fucking awful. And you know that this spirit gets destroyed. You know that this woman gets destroyed. Like, Like, great, cool. Jessica wants someone who is a trained witch and breedable. Mm -hmm. So, like... How many times did they try to have the Sakri have children? Good question. I know that midnight doesn't last for much longer. Let's see. June, July, August, September. We've got four more months. But you can't tell me that in those four months, Jessica doesn't start her fucking breeding program. Well, also, like, the Sakri ends up going to Brina, right? Because that's where she is at the end of... Okay, so we don't know where she goes in the interim. She starts with Jaguar. So does she stay with Jaguar after Midnight's destroyed? I don't know. That is a big open I don't know. Hmm. Like, I don't know how Brina acquires her. I, they, I feel like they ever reference it. But that takes place after Jaguar's turned over his new fucking leaf, but he still left this woman in the care of Brina, who Seriously. melts servants. If Brina has been with her since the fall of Midnight, like, say, say the Sakri escapes the fall of midnight and is just wandering around and Brina sees her and is like, I'll just take this one. Mm -hmm. That's still like Jaguar would ever have heard about her being like, yeah, that's Brina's lady's maid. I think I need to undo that one. Like it can't even, it can't possibly because there's like four months where she would have been with him. She's such a shell in promises to keep. Yeah. Four months unlikely i wonder because the next scenes are you know taking her to midnight and handing her over to jaguar where she had said uh, the sacri is forbidden to shed blood forbidden to be possessed i can already feel the land rejecting me for what i have done here once i cross midnight's threshold and declare myself their property the bond will be severed if the if the connection was all that keeps her if she mm-hmm. just stops existing like it's a really terrible thing for this character to be like, you go from being the most important person in your culture, but you fell in love with a man and sacrificed yourself so that he wouldn't have to. And now you're going to just spend the rest of your existence, your immortal existence, until, you know, 2012, <laughs> as an empty machine. You just sure you just get told to do a thing, so you do it. Well, I feel like they do discuss in Promises to Keep that, like, she specifically chose to like isolate herself or some part of her psyche yeah. to protect the Chantel from all the abuse she endured. Yeah, and it's like somewhere deep inside her. Right. So that implies that there was some like agency in her, some willpower in her. That remained. You know. Yeah. Well, doesn't matter because she gets turned over. Yep, and Katie and uh Vance fucking dust their hands off and they're like, well that sucked, but we did it. Yep. Let's head back. Now that we can no longer sell anybody in, they run into Aaron and he's like such a little rich boy. He's just out there in his dancer's pants and he's like, Katie, it's me. Please help. (laughs) Farrell sent me away because Hera's guards attacked. And she's like, yep, you got to fucking go to the palace. Get out of here, boy. They, They go running and they get back to the camp and like there's just so many guards attacking and they join the fray, and they kill a couple guards, but 
Not before Farrell gets stabbed real bad and he dies. I appreciate the fact that there are, as it says in here, quote, no final dramatic words of wisdom or caution or love, just gone senselessly. And I'm like, thank God. I did not <laughs> need to hear Farrell's final words. We've already heard them. They were <laughs> right? dumb. And some of the people are like, uh, Aaron clearly fucking led them right here. And he's like, no, he was trying. Or then other one's like, he was trying to warn us. And Misha starts to like rise up. And be like, we have to do something about this. And says that the plan is that we're going to sell Hara into Midnight the same way she would do to all of us. And Katie's just like, what the fuck is going on here? And why is everyone agreeing with this? Aaron gets back. They build a pyre. They burn uh, Farrell's body. And yeah, the whole goal is that um, we're gonna we're going to just turn over Hara. The four people who are like, that's a bad plan and we don't want to do it are Vance, Katie, Malachi, and Aika, who was like having some fights with Misha early on. So like never really hung out with her. Katie and Vance have been away all this time and Malachi is himself a white viper. So he, they run off and Malachi's like, oh no, she had spun a web around them. And the reason that we can fight it is because we weren't around it. Oh, is that it? Is it magic? It's fucking magic. That's so boring. What yeah. a shit, shit explanation. Yeah, he literally says, The spell a white viper spins is like a spider web. It is nearly invisible even to one caught in its trap. You two were away, and Aika always avoided her. But Misha has snared Aaron so tightly that he has no choice but to follow her. And the others... <sighs> can I, can I say a thing? Mm-hmm. This book has made me hate Misha. I hate everybody involved yeah. in these books. I have no sympathy or love for anybody anymore, even characters that I think are unjustly maligned. So I'm not here to stand Misha because all of these characters are fucking awful. Everyone sucks here. Yes, thank you. But the fucking framing of Misha having manipulative vagina magic yeah. really fucking sticks in my craw. Like, what the fuck? No, for sure. When I got to the end here and it was like, she's used magic. And I'm like, really? That's what your people couldn't just choose this? Nope. The, nobody could just agree. It's her fucking seductive white viper fucking pussy juices. <laughs> just mm-mm-mm. drink would them. be real proud. <laughs> At least Maeve had some fucking, like, Maeve was sticking it to the man or... Yeah. You know, vice versa. She was seducing like, Levin. Right. There was some independence in that. But this to do this to Misha and just be like, yeah, no, it's her fucking white viper magic is so misogynistic. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I wanted it to just be everybody agreed with Misha that that was just that's just what it is. Everyone's like, yeah, no, this fucking sucks. Hara tried to kill us all. Yeah. Fuck them royals. Yeah. Fuck it. Let's just do it. Let's just get rid of it and being like, what? And having a couple characters be like, that is super not okay with me. And be like, yeah, well, Farrell's dead and um, we're going to be dead too if we don't get rid of them. And we have a chance to put his son on the throne, even though we don't bow to kings. I don't give a fuck as long as I'm safe. Boop. There you go. Like It also would fit more with what they're going for, right? Because like, 
the fucking whole thing is that like everybody sucks and you know everybody is complicit and a hypocrite and <laughs> as we yeah. get told and promises to keep everyone's complicit right. and if the fucking obsidian guild lost feral and then immediately decided that no yeah what we need is to sell people into slavery and also to have a queen that would like fit with that whole yeah. idea of people being shitty Right, not being able to stand up for what is right. But to have your couple main characters be, like, the ones who say, nah, actually, we're yeah. going to take down Midnight, we're not going to take down the Serpiente. Right, but to then just be like, oh no, it's magic. It's like you're undermining your own thing right? that you're literally doing right now. Because early in the book it says, you know, oh, he has magic Malachi because he's half, he's half Falcon and half Viper. And uh, people, you know, ask Misha, you know, didn't white vipers have magic too? And she just laughs. And it's like, it could have just stayed at that. She could have just not had magic. Like, mm-hmm. just, just could have just not had magic. Could have. But she didn't. And it ends on them being like, do we have any kind of plan? And they're going to warn Hara. And no, we're going to stop Misha. Katie's like, I'm tired of prophecy. Wah. And says that they're not going to sell any more people. And then she echoes the fucking prophecy about the White Queen rising. The line is drawn. Players take their place. And then it says, it was time to draw the line. It was time to admit that sometimes mere survival wasn't enough. It was time to make a stand. That's Katie's book. We don't ever get Katie's perspective ever again. That's not a full book. It's not Katie's book. Because she wanted to go home. She wanted to see her parents. The only time this character had any actual motivation was when Mm -hmm. Marcel, the Chantel who had originally found her, said, you're not a kid anymore. And if you want to go back, you know, I'm willing to go east and to help you find your parents. She's like, really? You would do that? Because, like, I thought to myself, why doesn't this girl just go home? But we Mm -hmm. threw in some, I'm a monster. How do I explain shapeshifters to my parents? I was like, miss me with that. You don't. That's the answer to that. You don't right? shapeshift, so you why say, would you explain anything? I've been away. I got kidnapped. I'm fine. I'm back now. It's okay. I am still mm-hmm. get those those shakes every now and then, but I'll be okay. But that's it. And she, her in Vance was like, hey, when we're done with the Chantel bullshit, like this awful, horrible crap that was going to seriously taint our souls forever, mm-hmm. um, can we mm-hmm. just leave? Can we just like go somewhere else? <laughs> can we leave this series? Can we just go? <laughs> I wanted this for them. And she was like, I've been offered to, like, you know, head back to the fucking humans. You want to do that? And he's like, yeah, just anywhere. Let's go. You and me. Yeah. As long as we're together. (laughs) That would have been great. Right. And like you said, that was the only time their motivations ever felt genuine. When you just sit down, you're like, yeah, why don't you guys just do that? Why don't you do that right now? Right now. I mean, I know I had thought about, like, why did the Obsidian stay around where the Serpiente can fucking bother them and Midnight can get, like, can steal them into enslavement? Why not go like, right. ally themselves with the Azteca who are more powerful and just be like, we'll stay here. What do you fucking need? We won't bow to your king, but let us live on your, the outside of your lands. We'll hunt. What do you want? <laughs> or the fucking humans. Yeah. The hundreds of human indigenous tribes that are sure. in this land. The fucking white people that are setting up their towns. Anybody. You don't have to just go hang out with the Europeans. Like, there's native folks. Yeah. Just uh, go anywhere else. Yeah. 
you know, it's not even like a thing of, of them being like, oh, well, it's the 1800s, so they can't travel far. Like, no, this is a nomadic group. Yes. They can just choose not to circle back. Yes, yes, yes. This is not, you know, people being like, oh, you don't like the way America is run? Why don't you move to New Zealand? Uh, I can't. This is my home. They don't have a stable home. <laughs> they can no. just choose to not have a stable home somewhere else. But like you said, they've turned this prophecy thing into like the center of their existence yeah. for however long Misha's been alive, you know? Mm -hmm. Presumably they're tethered to this area by that prophecy, which So ridiculous. <sighs> they they have a whole conversation, Farrell and Misha. Like they finally sit down and Misha or not Misha, Katie. She finally sits down. She's like, hey, what's the whole deal with you like wanting to make your son king when it's like no gods, no it's, kings? But it's so at men. the end. Like, I've just realized a plot hole. Why can yeah. we discuss this right Why now? Why would you do this? Like, I've known you for three years and I should have asked before, but next time I see you, you'll be dead. So Right. You know, it probably should have occurred to me. And it didn't well, and she even says, like, oh, when we were selling a woman into literal slavery yeah. to save our prophesied queen, it was abstract. But now that Misha's like fucking a prince to be, oh, it's real. And it's and like, I don't know no, if I Katie. Want it. <laughs> <laughs> it was real when you were selling a woman into slavery to retrieve this right? woman. Right, you had decided then that you thought it was true. Right, when you guys were betraying the things that you supposedly stood for. Even though, like, they're all, oh, we don't bow to midnight. Uh, you do. Do, you do. You, like, trade with them. You yeah. follow their laws. You use their laws. Yeah, like, the good little rules you. lawyers you are. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I know. Obsidian fucking sucks. Anyway, fucking Feral just sidesteps it. He doesn't address it at all. Well, because she's like, what will you do? And he's like, I will call him son. Yeah, that's not an answer, bruh. <laughs> and even Katie is just like, I have no real involvement in that plotline because I'm not like a member of the Serpiente court. So, you know, what happens to them happens. I'll just sit back with my popcorn in my lawn chair. And you're like, way to get me fucking invested in this plotline, Amy. Thanks. And she should have, for a character whose short story is called The Rebel. Mm -hmm. She should have been so much more invested in anything. Like, I know she's half human, half Serpiente. So, like, where's her Serpiente fire being used for her whole freedom fighter mantra that she puts on a fucking shirt, I bet? <laughs> well, and it's just so strange the way it's framed. Because, like, I do think that our issues with the Obsidian Guild are meant to be acknowledged as issues in the book, right? Because Katie ultimately splits from the Obsidian Guild, you know, her yeah. and Malachi and Vance and Ika. But like, they do this whole thing, uh, this whole through line of Katie having her like, my daddy said, independence, freedom, America. <laughs> and that's sort of what Katie relates to. Like, that's why she doesn't accept the Serpiente King initially. Yeah. She's like, I'm an American and I don't have a king. Yeah, that's why she, like, finds that her values align better with Obsidian or whatever, even yeah. though she immediately bends them when they start serving, like, the prophecy of Misha. Right? You'd be like, well, um, I also don't have a fucking queen, so I'm gonna move on right? now. But it's this through line of, like, her American humanness is sort of the thing that makes her a rebel. Yeah. Which is wild. <laughs> it's too abstract. It's just... Opening on American literature words mm -hmm. doesn't make 
them feel important to the reader. Throwing out, my dad was a, was a patriot and he served in the armies or whatever, doesn't make it real to her. Mm-hmm. It's all so abstract. It's, it's, it's a character who just says these things without actually doing anything about it. Right. Because if she felt that strongly about it, then she would be at greater odds with the Obsidian Guild, yeah. with the things that she does and midnight, through this whole God. book. Selling selling Alistair to them should have been when she split. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Unless, except for the part where it's like, you're literally a child. Well, but that's the thing. Uh, that is a choice that Amy made. Mm-hmm. You can't say, oh, she's a child, therefore... Uh, she can't have this characteristic that's meant to be her characteristic. Like, no. Well, I mean more if that she's... she, like, couldn't leave because she was like, I'm a child. Again, that, you know, if Amy wanted her to be this character, then, you know, they should have written this character and not, you know, been able to be like, oh, well, you know, a 12-year-old can't be by herself. Like, well, if you wanted to give me this American independent fiery spirit revolutionary girl, that you need to be able to give me a character who can act on that. Yes, I agree. I feel like she had to be older when she left her parents. I agree. Like 13, 14. Yeah, exactly. Where it's like, you're old enough to have opinions. You're almost ready to go choose your profession or something. And you get stolen away. People just assume you're dead. And now you're here. And you can be like, well, fuck this. I don't want to be part of it. Oh, the Obsidian Guild? Okay, I'll join them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm making some choices because they've got this prophecy and I believe in them and everything else, but God, I don't love it. It hasn't been that long, so maybe have been at odds with them for a while. Right? For her to be on the outs with the group, yeah. to be like, I was the one who fought against taking Alistarian. I was the one who fought against us doing these things to protect Misha because aren't we supposed to be about equality or whatever? Yeah. Being like, we should get Misha out because we should get Misha out, but we shouldn't put someone else in. Mm-hmm. Being like, I would find another way. <laughs> yeah, she should be the one who's there with like the pointy stick being like, are we going to attack Midnight now? Because that's what I think we should do. <laughs> right. So how do we get an army? <laughs> yeah, like to have a rebel, like you said. Yeah. But this character is just kind of shitty, kind of angry, but she doesn't act on those feelings until the very end of the book. It's the same with Vance in the last book. And like, I understand character arcs, but like, we're never going to see this character again, like nah. you said. Yeah. Her arc should have mattered more to what was going on in the book, but it doesn't because the only time that she chooses to say she's going to take agency is in the very last line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Time to take a stand. Why is that the end of the book? Right. So instead, you just have, again, as with Vance, you have this book full of this passive character who doesn't do much and therefore does not make much of an impression yeah. as a character. No, this. As we know, this author doesn't do well with active characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you had said to me that uh, with the Obsidian in general, if you're just fucking around in the woods doing nothing, what do you stand for? Mm-hmm. Don't stand for anything. Like, they're not taking in people. The Obsidian isn't out there being rebels against the Serpiente, being like, the Serpiente are awful. You know, they're not taking away people from Midnight who escaped. They're not taking away exiles from other areas and being like we're gonna we're gonna work together and we don't we don't stand for midnight because if they did 
Midnight would never have let Malachi roam around. He never would have met Vance. We wouldn't have this series. Mm -hmm. And then that would be great. (laughs) (sighs) I think I only want to just double down on this book should have been Misha's. Because while it could go back and forth with Katie, it doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. And it would be great to have the Mavra mostly be about people who are actually related to Maeve. Mm-hmm. The first one should have been Shkays, and I know he dies, but it should have. And the second one should be Misha, and the third one should be Malachi. That's that's what sh- it should be, because if you're going to be the fucking Mavra. <laughs> but then again, I mean, you know, Kiesha, the children of Kiesha, like, opens with a child of Alistair, so what do I fucking Right, like? right. <laughs> I would say... I would like to double down on this book shouldn't exist. <laughs> I've been trying to suss out like my feelings about this book since I started fucking reading it. And like I'm sure we touched on this in the last one. Yeah. But like you're telling a story to make a point. And when you do that, you construct the story from the ground up in service of that point, right? Yeah, you should. And, you know, whatever point this thing is trying to make about everybody sucking. <laughs> and that can only be the point. Right. And people need to take a stand or whatever. It doesn't work when you're, the other half of your hand is like, but like Midnight's really cool. <laughs> it's like this, this stupid fucking slavery system was not constructed to sort of bear the weight that it's bearing in these books and as a result they don't work on a greater thematic level yeah as a book right and then you know you have the issue of the characters being cameras so then it doesn't really work as a character book either <sighs> mm-hmm. oh tell me why this is the worst one for you worse than the annette curse Klaus. because it's bad and boring oh i have something i wanted to tell you okay you know how i don't skim mm-hmm. oh i skimmed Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have never skimmed in the, like, what, five years that we've been doing this podcast? Mm-hmm. This is the first book that I found my eyes just glazing over the prose and going mm-hmm. from, like, dialogue to dialogue. And if it felt like I missed something, some internal thought, then I would maybe go back. Mm-hmm. Some scenes I read, you know, in full, but there were just huge chunks like that 11 pages of negotiating with Jessica, mm. where I'm just like, when will the scene be over? All right. I think it's a combination of like these books being the last books of Amy's, but going back so far into the past where like we've we seen know where they end up, where they end up and we know that it's all terrible. Yeah. So it's like reading and feeling the sort of nihilistic futility of that. And then also, like, for all the heinous shit that was in that Annette Curtis-Klaus book, Annette Curtis-Klaus knows how to write and knows how to tell a story and write characters. (laughs) There were characters we could be pissed off at rather than just being like, okay, you're on the page. Right. Like, you know, I didn't particularly care for anybody in that circus book, but at least it was any sort of craft. This, This is fucking done in. By Amy's fucking heinous mediocrity. Like, (laughs) it's so boring to read. It's so poorly constructed and poorly told that, like, the 
the sins of it being boring and bad and ending up in a bad place are for me harder to endure than like fucking all of the shit that happened. That's fair. That's fair. I I'm I'm just so tired of this crap. Same. <laughs> like I told you, when I hit the scene of the dream, I was like, oh my god, I thought I was free of this. For <laughs> one book. <laughs> Never. And just like every time it was like even though they didn't say it, I practically could hear it being like, as you know, yeah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, why all these info dumps? Like, it feels like a f- solid quarter of this book is spent info dumping shit, where mm-hmm. knowing that the short story could have just given me the background that I didn't need brought up every time mm-hmm. if it was just at the beginning of the book. And that's also the wild thing to be what, like, 15 books into Amelia's backlist at this point and to still have to endure walls of exposition. This is all set in the same world. Why are we dealing with this much exposition when we've existed in this world for 20 years? I shouldn't need it. Like, and I know that you have to put some stuff in there for new readers, but just just don't. Just fucking stop. (laughs) Like, I don't need exposition about the previous book, and I sure as fuck don't need exposition on these new societies and cultures that you're just dropping in now, what are you going to do with it? Nothing. Because we're not going to see them again. It's so ridiculous. It's so wild to... And this is something that I didn't feel as much this time because it was my second time reading through it. But like, it's so wild for the Avians and the Serpiente to be on such a periphery Mm -hmm. when they're the cultures that we do know. That we cared about from reading years ago. Right? For the Serpiente and the Avians to be so important to the shitty plot, but to not be present is... The only ones that matter are Alistair and and Hara. And Hara is just treated like a terrible, horrible person and only shown Mm -hmm. to be a terrible, horrible person. So who cares? I don't know why it feels misogynistic for like her to be the one that's terrible and Aaron to be the good one? No, it is. Okay. Because <laughs> that's how it feels. It feels like that. And the, and then, you know, like, and on the back being like, my dad. And it's like, why are women always when choosing between the two? Like, because even mm-hmm. all of the, like, Jaguar gets a fucking redemption arc, you know? Mm. It's like, mm. anyway, um, and Alistair is like, this kind of sexy lamp that everyone keeps calling so beautiful and someday is going to be, you know, the queen again and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, she's not important except that she was a princess. Mm -hmm. Like, she's just kind of there. So we've got these two characters and like one's bad and one's, I guess, perfect. (laughs) And that's what we get for the, the hawks and the serpents. Which, I mean, I guess, you know, it could be the other way, and then I would be really pissed off being like, of course the serpents everyone loves. So, so nice <laughs> to see a character not like the serpents that much. Yeah, sure. You know, from a backless perspective, to be like, hooray, finally someone who doesn't like the snakes. But the only one we really get to know is is Alistair. As far as the avians go, we don't know anything about them. We we are hanging out by the Serpientes, presumably city, and Palace, mm-hmm. like, where are the avians? <laughs> Good question. How far like, away are they? 
why why do they not just move they're birds they can fly get the fuck out of there oh we need food change into your bird form go eat some berries have fun (laughs) go eat some fucking worms right catch a rodent i don't care it has to be it has to be better than selling your people into fucking slavery what are you doing we know there are only like 20 of you anyway (laughs) it was so weird uh speaking of only 20 being like who's in this fucking obsidian group because i'm only being given the names of the main ones feral Ica, and torko and yet you tell me there's like 18 of you i don't fucking believe it <laughs> again it's that weird everything existing and like through this frosted glass yeah. you know all of it's just these moving pieces that amy wants to show us about a fucking plot we don't care about because like you haven't made us care yeah And it's the same problem that we've run into with, you know, Poison Tree Mm -hmm. and the other ones where it's just like things that happen that you don't make me care about. (laughs) Why should we care about them? We don't know the stakes. They're too big. Like, this is why you tell stories about this kind of stuff. You have to show it from the the humanized perspective of the the characters on the ground. Mm -hmm. If I'm supposed to care, I mean, you know, and like... In theory, I would if I knew the character more. But like, mm-hmm. in theory, okay, Misha and Shke were sent to Midnight and Shke lost his life there. I should, I should give a fuck about that because I should care about him. But he's just this abstract. He's NJ Cobriana who died before the Hawk Song opened. Mm-hmm. Just some character who happens to exist. I didn't meet him. I didn't go, no, he was my favorite. Oh, he died in midnight. Oh, he was there with Alistair at the moment. Ah! Don't be so fucking coy. Don't hide your plot reveals. Not everything's a fucking reveal. Mm-hmm. It's what everything feels like. Everything feels like it's a, it's a reveal. <gasps> Do mm-hmm. you care? No. I don't know who that <laughs> is. And the darkness of it, like, again, it's all relying on the reader to be like, yes. This is terrible. And it's like, yeah, obviously. But what you show me is Jessica's library and her being a business boss. Yeah, like, I don't want to see the brutality of Midnight because that's not something that I'm interested in witnessing. But, like, you gotta do something, man. Gotta do something. So there was a scene in the previous one where Misha finally basically convinced Vance that Midnight is awful when she you know, gives a little bit of a speech about, like, uh, fuck you, this is what Midnight does, this is what Midnight did to me. Mm -hmm. Where's somebody else saying that? Just, like, tell us. You don't need to show us. You can just say, do you know what they did? You can't see it because I heal fast. Have you ever had your arm broken in three places and then they had to re-break it because it's set wrong? I have. (laughs) You know, like, give me some shit for my brain to go, oh, I'm imagining that and that sounds fucking awful. Well, and that's the other thing is that, like, you're not allowed to care for the victims of Midnight on, like, a tactile level because they're all robots or crazy people, you know. That is definitely where they're going with Misha, too. That, like, it's her magic reacting and she's doing this thing and it's crazy as opposed to sound sensible. Let's sell the fucking princess and being like, what? No, not sensible. Right. And like they're the way that they frame Misha is just like this bitter, angry person. Yeah. So you're not allowed to empathize with her the way that you should be in a way that would make what Midnight has done feel more grounded in something besides like 
the abstract evilness of, you know, a slave empire. Yeah. Her reaction to it should be like, I get it. I know why you want to do this. You're angry. You've been tortured. You've got trauma. This is not the way to go about it. We we can maybe talk with you. Instead, it's just she's crazy and her magic has done this thing. And, you know, it's going to lead to we have to take Misha down in the next one. Oh, that was something else that I wanted to say. The end of this book framing we have to stand up to like Misha. Yeah. As being the goal instead of like fucking midnight, you know? Well, they even say that Hara is a symptom, not the problem or something. It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, midnight is the problem. Dinguses. Truly. It's truly just poorly constructed. Yeah. I don't look forward to the next one. I do not recommend this book. I hope that everyone who's been fucking reading these books, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Can't believe you all decided to read these ones. Let's uh, let's all agree to read the next ones together and we'll make sure that the next ones aren't bad. Yeah, yeah. We'll pick a good one. All right, great. Let's fucking be done with this. All right. I'm Ollie. And you can find me on Twitter at Olivia Hennis, where you can also find the podcast at Backless Podcast. And this is, you know, until Twitter disappears, which probably won't at this point. But how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, theoretically, at Endless underscore run. I don't really use it anymore. Where are you? Do you honestly. do any social medias? No, I don't. I, I, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Twitter is like... I don't really need this shit anymore. It's like Amelia Water Road's books. You're like, I don't need more of it. Thank you. No, I'm good. I had, I had my time. Yeah. It's past. It's fine. <laughs> uh, you can also find the podcast at patreon.com slash backlist and chill. Mm-hmm. I forgot what Patreon's URL was for a <laughs> minute there. Where you can find out about uh you know stuff we're going to hit next. Maybe you can get that announcement early and kind of get the dip on whatever good book series we're going to read after this. Yes, we need to we we owe it to them. Yes. Uh you can also get episodes early and we're kicking around the idea of doing some extra bonus content. So you know maybe maybe it'll show up there. But yeah. So you know come be a patron. Yes. And uh see see what happens maybe something good. Who knows. That's true. And you can pop on over to Redbubble and search us up there. I think it's redbubble.com/people/backlistpodcast. It might also include slash shop. But either way, you can find us there. You can buy silly little stickers and buttons. Mm -hmm. All right. See y'all next time. Bye. Bye.